Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle of the people that make it, occasionally ourselves. Not this week, though. We're going to be very generous to ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. Come on. You know the, you know the deal. You know the drill. Here with Michael Moynihan, Matt Welch, and we have a guest in the studio here in New York because we're all assembled. That, is that who that is? This time. Well, yeah, I, I thought say, that was the butler. Uh, we have a guest. He's the guest. He's the guest. <laughs> yes. Man, a man of refined taste and talent. <laughs> yes. And with a distinct accent, which makes him. But he's like now he's one of us, by us. the way. He is. Well, he is. He lives in New York. Did you true. know this? You're not supposed to say that. Is, he that, told- is that okay? Oh, shit. The fatwa. <laughs> oh, the fatwa. He lives in various places. Yeah. He's a man of mystery. Douglas Murray is joining us, ladies and gentlemen, the author of many books. Many books. Uh, including The Madness of Crowds. Madness of Crowds. And The War on the West is his most recent book. He's got a new podcast called um, Uncanceled History, um, which our friend Thomas Chatterton Williams was a recent guest on right. as well. I mean, I was just listening to the episode on colonialism, so we'll, we'll talk about that and a, a number of other things today. We are delighted that you could join us in studio for this a rather late start for us. Rather late start, and I do want to point out, um, Doug probably knows this, he, he presumes this, and he'll be happy to know this, Uh-oh. that you are a frequently requested guest. Oh, yeah. True. And um, I typically say no, um, mm-hmm. we don't, there's a couple of things about him that we usually don't allow in the podcast. That is true. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what are those? Oh. Well, you're very homophobic. Because um, <laughs> you're, as a Jamaican-American. Yeah. That's yeah. vestigial homophobia. Yeah, that's vestigial homophobia. It's, it's, I, it's passed I have, down through the I've genes. I've gotten very good about repressing yeah. that, especially when I'm engaged yeah. in a gay relationship. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Usually am. He's the, bouge, the, he's the bougie banton of the fifth column. <laughs> yeah. Well, you did teach me things like, Bati boy, like stuff like that. Well, that's I, just I, not yeah. how you say it. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Vatiman. Yeah, Vatiman. So welcome. <laughs> How's that for an intro? Which I say with love. Yes. Yeah. Um, Great pleasure. You didn't actually <laughs> say what a second. Wait, are you out? Did, I, did we just out you? <laughs> In so many ways. Okay. <laughs> As a gay New Yorker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where can I even start? Welcome back to Sex, on the, sex in the City. Yeah, he's... Uh, sex on the City. He's Jim McGreevy. He's a straight man who lives in Adelaide. Let's, let's redo that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, delighted you could join us to chop it up a little bit. Um, I'd love to talk about plenty of things. There's a bunch going on this week. Um, the, the U.S. Congress is, is getting down to business um, just in time for another debt limit vote, which apparently is supposed to happen next week. So we can talk about that. We can talk about the Republican Congress's agenda um, and I guess there's still more and more. That just insanity. sounded really boring, but God, yeah, it, it, yeah. The way that you presented that, I, I, was was like, I don't think I, I, I want to be here. Sorry, I was worried about. I'm that. sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, we we may get to those things, yeah. and then again, we may just talk for a little bit. Oh, but I should also right. mention that Joe Biden documents apparently classified in his car. Maybe it's a problem. I think they were the in Corvette. the floor, like next the next to the Corvette. Yeah, I think they were in the same locker. Why? No, no, no. Hang what? on. Are you, we've got to clarify this. Yeah. On air yesterday when the News came through and the president gave his press conference. The Corvette was in a garage which is locked. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So just That's, please so bear this Airtight. in mind. Yeah. So far, neither the Chinese, the Russians, no one can get into a garage. No. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Hunter probably did. Hunter <laughs> That's right. wandered downstairs looking for a rock so, that he dropped. Well, we he, have to the be big guy said, I'll leave the papers yeah. next to the Corvette. Mm. Just yes. go pick them up. Yes. Well, you know, the garage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the Kremlin <laughs> is still scratching his head over yeah. <laughs> a garage in Wilmington. Yeah. Oh, God. 
but so it did it, it didn't neutralize that uh, issue for Democrats. And there was a piece in Politico today of people close to the Biden administration who basically said, "Yeah, I guess we can't use the Trump thing now." And they were like, "Yeah, no, we we actually can't." At this Have point. you uh, been enjoying the Republicans pounce subheads? They're amazing. They are amazing. Like, there's no sense of of like self correction or awareness of people that you're doing it. You're saying Do you, in the subhead of your yes. news article yes. about the president of the United States. Um, having now a second location where he had inappropriate three actually now three locations. yeah because okay. it's the house inside the house uh-huh. um, the garage in that fake think tank that no one had ever heard of <laughs> yes. the Biden Institute for Excellence <laughs> or whatever it was <laughs> yeah. have we looked into this were there yeah, yeah, exactly. were there any policy papers or anything issued by this we, organization we don't know okay we don't know anything Do you know he collected he, checks though he oh, of course it's yeah. like millions and millions He's being of paid dollars, well. Yeah. Maybe yeah. he has the same photos of Macron as Trump has. Oh yeah, that's, mm, that's right. Let me get that, mm. that mic a little closer to you. The real, uh, the real PT. The real PT. <laughs> <laughs> Who's great, peeing on if who? There was actually, a Biden PT. That we didn't, you know, <laughs> Christopher, Christopher Steele missed this one. It's just actually him peeing himself. <laughs> what was the guy? What was the country? There was a country in Africa. Uh, well, it was it? It was uh, like Mozambique or something, where the president had four or five journalists arrested. Because they published a video him, of him uh, peeing, on himself. peeing himself, like on a platform while he was like, before really? he was like, give I normally speech. remember that sort of thing. Yeah, that's, <laughs> wow. Well, that's why I brought it up. I said, that's your kind of story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's my main beat that's your as a writer. <laughs> that's you write about the, for the yeah. Post, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We need a British mind for this. Yes. Did these pictures ever come out? I the video, no, the video yeah. came out. Oh, there's yeah. a video of there's the president. There's a video of the president peeing himself. And then the, the I don't know if it's be. But uh, <laughs> but they they came out afterwards like and, story. and I think it was at like a funeral or is it some kind of ceremonial oh thing? My God. And, they, and they said he was just too moved by the experience. I mean that, that could like, happen. Yeah, like yeah just, suppose, you know you, you let go. Yeah, footage of a of the South Sudanese president uh, Sal- okay. uh, Salva Kiir apparently urinating on himself at an official event has sparked an online debate across Africa. <laughs> the entire continent is like, what's this, this debate? Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I, 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 was it awesome or really awesome? I spoke, I spoke to somebody once, some years ago in London who had the misfortune of being arrested for murder in South Sudan. Oh, wow. Um, uh, that That's he, a bit of a misfortune. Yes, yeah. it was. He woke up in the morning and he found a dead body in his garden and he called the police and the police came and um, he said that he started to worry about his own safety when he saw the um, crime scene investigator arrive with this like very blood covered suitcase <laughs> oh, no. and like put on gloves that clearly had like lots of DNA from previous crime scenes on them and, <laughs> oh, and was sort of doing swabs with like dirty cotton wool from other crime scenes and he wow. thought oh shit I'm going to be arrested for this and sure enough he was arrested for the murder because that was the easiest thing to do. Did, did he did he get out? Did he he get, did in the end in, but in he said end. it wasn't it wasn't the nicest thing I imagine thing the wheels of relying. justice in South Sudan and turn very slowly, don't they? <laughs> yes, and, and oh, as to the crime scene investigations, it yeah. <laughs> so the lesson here is: if you find a dead body in South Sudan, do not call the police. No, go straight to the airport. <laughs> Just go to the airport <laughs> and escape as fast as possible. And wish you were in Romania, where the um, wheels of justice turn more surely. So okay, so we we haven't talked about this at all, and I don't think we should. But I just want to point out <laughs> that I didn't know who he was, Andrew Tate. I had never heard of him. Yeah. yeah. And apparently he's British, but he's American. Uh, he's a dual citizenship. And he's a very odd accent. He doesn't sound British. 
But I think he was born in like South Carolina or something. But he's a British. He's, a real, you know he's one of yours. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Steady on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was he um, your friend in South Sudan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this, this, I didn't know about this guy at all. Uh, he was one of these sort of subcultures of uh, male pickup artists. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Uh, Not my thing. And um, he, he suddenly, I only became aware of him because Piers Morgan interviewed him about two yeah. months ago mm-hmm. and did quite a good Twice. job on him. Yeah. yeah. And like, and it was one of those interesting things, wasn't it? Where like there's a crossover from some subculture into a sort of mainstream media thing, and you go, "Oh, I wonder what's happening here." Um, but yeah, his his um, his story fell apart quite fast when it turned out he was running a Romanian castle <laughs> full of webcam girls. <laughs> Well, it's, well, it's not, when it's you not move quite to clear Romania. what's going on yet in, in his... Oh, no, it's, 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 we should say allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. 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 I, I learned that in Britain. It strikes me that, <laughs> Camille, laws. that you want to defend him, but you just don't know how yet. I don't, I don't know anything yeah. about the man. The, yeah. only time, the only other time we've talked about him is when I suggested that he was running some sort of scam, um, mm-hmm. like Andrew Tate, you situation. Oh. Like charging kids like $45 a month to learn how to resell, like... Uh, laptop sleeves yes. on Amazon. That yes. is, like, I is make, that really what he's doing? I, yeah. I make a million dollars a university. month and so can you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and kids and he, are like, yeah, I made a thousand dollars. It's like, yeah. okay. Yeah. I suppose that's, that's something. That's well, better than 30, yeah, the, the, I mean, $40 dollars you spent last month. He definitely, he, he, he did that. All, all of the things that make you suspicious of someone, like boasting about his wealth. Moving to Romania. Moving to Romania. It's usually, yeah, um, number one on the list. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know anything about the guy. I'm, I hope that the allegations are false in, in the same way that I hope that there were no women abused beyond that. Yes. I really don't have any idea what's going on, but yeah. you have to admit that you hope that the allegations against Joe Biden and his documents are totally true. Well, like he's, in your these are politicians. I hope that most of the allegations against politicians are true. I'm just only going to endorse <laughs> the ones that actually seem true. If, yeah. It was funny. Cause when I, I said, um, uh, to Douglas on his way in that I had just uh, found out about his podcast and on the on the subway in I I you know pulled it up on my phone and it recommends <laughs> other things right oh. I pulled it up and it was in I can't like Pocket Cast or one of these things okay and the thing it recommended to me was a like eighty five part documentary on Partygate uh, which is the the oh um, the, Boris the, the Boris Johnson oh AOG. and I was like Jesus. I cannot imagine. A more boring topic. That was the most like, boring story ever. It's they had people over to drink during lockdown. It's like it's, yeah, so did I. I don't yeah. like. Yeah. I know people, I'm not the or prime people minister. People worked together as well. Yeah, 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 I yeah. Mean, they worked in the same office, and then like they had a cake one day, <laughs> and that 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 actually caused the British government in the end to fall. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like classic. <laughs> so people don't realize like, the absurdity of other countries' news. I mean, it's always absurd from where you're sitting in some way. But yeah. it's like I mean, in Britain, we have sex scandals in which there's been no sex. Yeah, it's very it's British. Yeah. Very British. No sex, please. Um, like uh, there's a little Democrat peer who lost his his whole livelihood really by asking somebody if she would like to come up to his room for a coffee yeah and yeah. Uh, that was and he it. probably meant a coffee too yeah he probably, yeah, he's had, probably, he's probably like, and crossed his mind yeah yeah have nescafe have although isn't that like if you're not doing it for tea right because no one drinks coffee yeah i think that yeah, the coffee, coffee has a lewd suggestion <laughs> 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 but there was a time with uk politics where when i was much younger it was always you know, the joke was always it'd be like a, uh, you know, a Tory minister found 
uh, tied to a tree with yes. like an orange in his oh, mouth. We, yeah. we used to be terrific at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we used to be world leaders in, yes. in sort of perverted death sex acts. Yes. Yeah. What, yeah. what went wrong? Uh, Was it Brexit? I can't Brexit say. ruined it. Some, some, for some reason, um, all of the fun went out of, of, of British politics at some point. Yeah. And, and we became this, these prudish people who... Uh, the British attitude, attitude towards sex had always been much more enlightened than the American attitude. The American attitude towards sex had always been much more puritanical still. Still is, I would argue. Yeah. Um, in Britain, we regard it as sort of fun, um, <laughs> yeah. which, I mean, yeah, is, 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 I think, in general, a better attitude. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then at some point, we went into this thing of, you know, I mean, like we had a defense minister who had to resign because he touched the knee of a female journalist friend of mine 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when the story came out, and she simply said, take your hand off my knee or I'll you know, slap you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he removed his, his uh, hand. That was the way they used to do things. Yeah. And I think a perfectly adequate way of doing things. Uh, but uh, 20 years later, we thought, <gasps> not a knee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, anything but the knee. No, I mean, what, it, what had yeah. come next after that? But it's interesting that we have a more prudish kind of oh, view so of much sex, prudish. But we produce all the pornography, and I couldn't imagine ever wanting to press play on a British pornography. Uh, yeah, what is well, that about? I don't know. It's I'll very just odd. have to spend the next hour converting you in this, <laughs> this, this ludicrous yeah. and, and frankly don't, racist. Yeah, it is uh, racist for sure. But apparently they do, according to uh, Douglas Murray, produce uh, porn? pornography. Is that right? They I probably think, I mean, all it. the top porn sites. Like, we have pretty entire much valleys in America. Yeah. An entire, like, you know, <laughs> Canoga Park and all these places. Yeah. That's all the only, it's the entire industry is pornography for miles yeah. in either direction. You know, and I don't think that's really the case. In One the of the UK. things that's uh, underappreciated about uh, the role that uh, Victor Orban's hung- Hungary plays in the in the transnational uh, conversation about conservatism and family, and all this kind of oh, stuff. It's all the porn sure, after that. I wasn't sure where it was this all was all Hungarian. Going. Budapest yeah. became yes, the, the porn capital capital. of yes. porn in Europe yeah. uh, very soon after the wall fell. And the first person to write that article was Emmanuel Richard. It was yeah, my it was your wife. wife. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She wrote it for Liberation. She wrote it for, remember the European Yes, uh, of course. Yeah, back yeah, in the day, yeah. uh, I think she wrote it for them as well. But like, uh, and that from that point on, it became just like the you know the young Americans in Prague story was a huge story that everyone yeah. had to to match the porn in Budapest. But it was absolutely true. And we it had was, yeah. we had pornographer friends. This guy Christoph Clark, the uh, the uh, James Bond of European porn. <laughs> he lived there and uh super nice guy uh and I bet and he uh and, and he was like married to a Hungarian who just watched Seinfeld episodes and go to bed at nine thirty every night yeah. um and uh and, and he or other people would explain all you have to do is walk down Vatsiu to the main uh, uh boulevard there and uh, the pedestrian shopping area and first just like use your eyes yeah. and then just use either your like <laughs> fingers snapping or maybe a very very small checkbook and that's it you find all the actresses you could ever possibly want i love that you just, use the word actresses um yes. yeah i have ha- yes i have actually sat outside at the budapest hotel late in the evening and young ladies have flashed their breasts at me because they just can't understand why i'm not accepting their invitation and i end up saying yeah. ah they're prostitutes yeah and then they're like oh he's british. stranger yet <laughs> yeah he's pretty <British. laughs> sometimes he's a, he's they're a not. straight british guy <laughs> he's a straight british guy no 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 thank you no 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 could i pay you to touch your knee the funniest thing is that um about like these incredible changes over periods of time of like you know Pornography and how the British treat sex. I mean, the weirdest version of this is the other day I was watching an interview that Victor Boot did 
with uh, what's Komsomolskia Pravda, the KP, the, the state-run newspaper. They're all state-run. And um, it was subtitled. And Victor Boot, who has traded, uh, the arms dealer who's traded, traded for Brittany Griner in this, uh, oh, this exchange. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the mustachioed guy, they made a film about him with, um, what's his name? Nick Cage. Nick, Nick, Nick Cage. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Lord of yeah, War. Yeah. Lord of War. He doesn't sound like that in, when he's speaking Russian. <laughs> but so he's talking and they're like, what is it like coming back to Russia, you know, 20 years after you're arrested? And he said the most amazing thing. And I was like, wow, that is actually true everywhere of these amazing changes that people don't realize. It's a kind of generational thing is that he's like, everyone is healthy and they eat healthy food. Like, this is crazy to me. Like they go and like, they get like salads and not everyone's smoking and people aren't drinking all day. Like what happened? And I remember having this (laughs) conversation at work when I said that if I came into my office in lunchtime with a bag full of McDonald's, I would, people would look at me like I was a pedophile. They'd be like, you're eating, I'm sorry, what now? You're eating yeah. McDonald's? Like, yeah. it's just not done. Yeah. And that was not the case 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And like these changes in all of these attitudes that have happened so quickly. And one of the ones that I sent the Victor Boudin, I was like, yeah, yeah, no, people try to survive. They try to like live longer now. I mean, that was not something Russians did after, in the past. After communism, it like, it was the life expectancy there went from it wasn't great yeah, to begin yeah. with. It was like sixty five. Yeah, maybe. and it went down to like forty eight. <laughs> well, one reason really was one that. reason was moonshine. Yeah, yeah, it was, that was killing a big people, reason, yeah. which was because you can, couldn't get vodka, and the shops would say there was there's no vodka, and uh, and people would make in their bath uh, yeah. things that things that you know just absolutely uh, killed and you. Gorbachev for a while in like eighty six or that was seven, a big campaign. Yeah. Tried to crack down crack on down it, and, and, yeah. and like that's just that was one of his biggest mistakes, issues too. Like it was like. A glasnost perestroika and like let's get rid of the alcohol that is think, killing yes, everybody. I think you couldn't buy vodka before two o'clock in the afternoon. I think. I think it's something wow, like that. Yeah. After cool. those reforms, but I love the fact oh. that it was in a country where that was actually a huge controversy. <laughs> <laughs> well, the people who are going to rise up against that yeah. are not in a good state. No, no. But I, <laughs> I, I, I very, very bad at chanting. You could do I, anything <laughs> in a when the European Union did this. Is that you could do anything. When you started the smoking bans in Europe in both Italy and Ireland. Yes. Amazing. And Absolutely once you not. could do that, it was just the dominoes fell. Well, everybody said the Irish would never, never stop smoking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you just wait till they try to stop the Irish from yeah. smoking in their pubs. Everyone trooped outside the yeah. next night in Dublin. And, and, yeah. the and then, you, unfortunately, you could smell what the pub smelled like now. And yeah. it was a lot worse than the cigarettes. It's a very anti-Irish yeah. comment. Yeah, for me. Right. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I, you wrote a book on uh, Bloody Sunday, which I thought was uh, too balanced. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, I was hoping for a rah-rah paratroopers thing, and I didn't get it. It was a balanced book, which <laughs> is a very you. good book, by the way. I have to well, say. That's very kind I really, of, I really enjoyed it. Kind of, it. It, well, it made uh, no one any money. But. Yeah, that I, I lost money on that transaction. <laughs> I imagine you did too. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there's 25 pounds, and I'll never it's get. It's always back a very strange thing when you're when you're very proud of your least selling. Book. Is that your least selling book? I think that that one was. And what is the best selling? The Madness of Crowns was a big, pretty big uh, hit, wasn't it? Yeah, I think the latest one, the in the West sold probably better than the other ones in numbers or certainly speed of numbers. Uh, Bloody Sunday, yes. Uh, um, well, by that point, nobody wanted to know about Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you could, you could clear a room. Yes. I did many times <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. By, by, by bringing up the Northern Ireland conflict. Because once, once they got the peace deal, it was just like, we've heard about this benighted place every night on the news for yeah. 30 years. Yeah. It's so horrible. The conflict's so nasty. We have a, we have a very smart audience. I want you we to make, make the pitch to them. Why should they go by your favorite book among the books that you've written, the one that is most important to you and has perhaps been, been least read. That's right. 
Well, it's not that it's most important to me because okay. I mean, every book I write kind of, you know, I always say about books, I've done seven or seven or eight now. Yeah. And they always feel like, you know, sort of children and you send them out into the world and they have different fates. Yeah. Um, so you're uh, but it is, it, it is, yes. It, no, no, that, 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 Harry. that, that one bloody, well, we'll get onto that doubtless. Um, that, that one is, is, it's, well, what was interesting to me was that, again, I can clear a room. I won't. Uh, I followed this inquiry into what happened on this terrible day in 1972 and 14 people were killed on the streets of a British city by British troops. And uh, I went to the inquiry and I went to watch everyone giving evidence 30 years later. And really what I discovered was it was an inquiry into the nature of truth because everybody's memories were um, yes. were just yeah. – what, what was just really interesting, I mean, I had, there was a, the detail actually I started the book with was that one of the victims who was shot through the back of the head mm. uh, um, and it meant that his eye came out and it hit a wall. And the eyelid was picked up by somebody, put in a matchbox and put on his dead body by, by a civilian. And by my count, watching the um, inquiry, um, 28 different people claimed to have done that. Wow. And I became very interested in that. Just like, what, what, because it's an odd thing to make up. Somebody did it. Mm -hmm. Maybe not even any of the people who gave evidence. Somebody did it. And the others somehow thought they did mm -hmm. or had been telling the story down the pub that they had mm -hmm. because of, and I became very interested in the whole business of memory. There's a very interesting book mm -hmm. by Daniel Schachter from Harvard called The Seven sins of memory and one of them is this thing that if you go for a really horrible uh, uh, occasion and i think probably all of us have had this in our lives or some people listening will have had it if you if you're ever in the middle of a really horrible thing and you survive it you you have to come up with a version of it which shows yourself in a better light mm -hmm. for yourself sure and so i discovered that all these people uh, who'd just not been able to do anything. And there was nothing heroic you could do. Like if you stepped out, like you'd be shot. Um, there was nothing heroic you could do. Came up with weird little lies like this. And then I discovered that actually the big lies mm. that were being told then just came out of that and out of that. And, and that, that really nobody... There was, there was one woman who, who actually had a totally uh, credible version that wasn't particularly playing herself up or boasting or anything like that and she was played a tape that had just been discovered that had been made on the afternoon and it was played to her in court and she said that is my voice and the account of things was totally different from what she said 30 years later wow. yeah. mm. she wasn't a liar sure no, you no, know she just yeah. she just uh, and and so really what it was was an inquiry into memory and the way in which we we change and our memories of things change and we it's yeah it's why historians are so necessary and it's what gives so much oxygen to things like holocaust denial mm. because you have a number of people that were victims that were in camps and they say things that are totally implausible that definitely didn't happen happened to somebody else and these are seized upon by people like the more clever ones like david irving but all the kind of yeah. minor league ones that exist online and they say, oh, this could never have happened oh, for X, Y, and Z reasons. We've seen that in our own day. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a young um, – I went to North Korea many years ago, and um, or 12 years ago, so 10 years ago, and um, got to know quite a lot of North Korean defectors afterwards. And there was one who wrote a book that became quite celebrated for a time yes. called Ca Escape from Camp 14. Yes. Yeah. Written, written with a Washington Post journalist. Yeah. Right. A very, yeah. very brave young man. Uh, it was born in a concentration camp in North Korea because his uncle had committed a crime before his birth because they – do a whole family incarceration. Um, he he grew up in the camp, but at the age of about seventeen or eighteen, he escaped with his best friend over the barbed wire. His de his friend died. Uh, he 
trod over the body, got to the nearby village, saw that people were allowed to wear what they wanted and thought he'd arrived in paradise. Wow. Um, couldn't believe it. The thought it was just heaven. And uh, when he told me this, so first I thought, I thought, you know, you could sort of had a visual of a, a rat in a yeah. maze mm. just failing to get out. And anyway, I did get out through China. Some bastard uh, wrote a critique of this book, finding some factual error, yeah. saying that he had not got out of the camp in <coughs> August of 2011, but actually had had changed the date, and it was March of you know, and it was like it's like you're basically arguing that this guy was on level six of the inferno and not level seven. <laughs> it's like, yeah, why does this matter yeah. exactly? It became like, a pretty big story. Too. It became a big yeah. story, and his yeah. and his story was yeah. totally uh, 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 sort of pushed aside yeah. in the process. It was like, no, you know, okay, some factual inaccuracies in this, and that's yeah. that's 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 because sh- there are ones that there was a guy named a Swiss guy named Benjamin Wilhelmirsky who made up a. There's a bunch of these, too, these um, Holocaust memoirs. His was very easy to check because he was born in 1947. And, you know, he was like a, a, you know, a brave teenager during this. And there was a one um, recently, a woman in Massachusetts, in, in, I think in Newton, Massachusetts, who had a very similar story. And it's incredible because those are the ones that are just, you know, manias that grip people and they want to be part of this stuff. It's, you know, it's like George Santos thing. You know, saying my mother died on 9-11 and she died in 2017. Yes. It might have been in September, but it was, you know, different. different Are you things. continuing to follow this? Because yes. it, it's also mm-hmm. he led his volleyball team um, at Baruch College, mm-hmm. which he did not attend. Yes. He led the volleyball <laughs> team yes. to the league championship. He doesn't look like he would be able to identify a volleyball in a sporting goods I, sport. Uh, <laughs> I may say my, my favorite um, Santos lie so far is, is, is uh, because his lies are very strange. Yes. Uh, most people's lies go along very clear lines. Like, for instance, Joe Biden's lies go along two lines. There's the I'm much cleverer than you. You've no idea how high my scholarship was, how high I was in my class like, yeah. 80 years ago. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, why yeah. are you still going on about your grades? Out of 85, that's right. a high one. <laughs> like, so, so, so one set of Biden lies are always those, uh, just exaggeration of his yeah. intelligence, which is understandable. If you've got a complex about that, that's what you would do. But then the other type of Biden lie is, I'm just like you. I, track, you drive a tractor. Hey, I used to drive tractors. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you, yeah. you can't just say, a tractor, that's interesting. Tell me about it. You know, yeah. Is it like a car, but bigger? Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's the sort of patter I would do if I were visiting if I were visiting a tractor factory. How do you go? How do you do reverse? You know, there's lots of things you can do. There's loads of shtick, but he doesn't. He can't resist the temptation to make himself a man of the people. So there's a Biden's lies. Santos's lies are totally impossible to categorize. They are all over the place. Yeah. Like like if you want to be elected. In New York, you don't have to pretend to have worked for Goldman Sachs. No, no. Like, that is not a good, no. that is not a good modus operandi. But no. then I discovered the other day that he's, that he was married to a woman. Yes. Yeah. So yes. one of my theories is he's simply pretending to be gay to advance in the Republican Party. So that's I what I said. I've made this Which point. Is great. That what that's a great good news. What a great country we live in yes. where Republicans are pretending to be gay. <laughs> yes. you start, like Larry Craig was like, I just have a wide stance. So it was like, <laughs> no, no, you were trying to get jerked off in the bathroom of the Minneapolis airport. Yeah, yeah. Just say it. And he's like, Joy, oh, that's bad. Joy Santos actually li- lives a life of boring heterosexual yeah. dom- <laughs> domesticity with a white picket fence. And he just, he pretends. Missionary sex he pretends. behind a white picket fence. <laughs> this came out today so maybe you guys haven't seen it yet but there's video and it's spectacular uh in 2019 george santos 
introduced introduced himself at a uh, 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 a Q and A session at a walk away LGBT event at New York in New York City. So it was basically a conservative oh, yeah. gay event of yeah. some sort. Um, and he said that he was the founder of uh, United for Trump, uh, and that he was uh, uh, gay or trans. Um, it's not important, <laughs> but that his name was Anthony DeVolder. Wait, like, I'm sorry. He introduced himself under the name of He's using a fake name? Yeah, it's Anthony right here. Anthony DeVolder? It's right here. You can see him. And he's got like his head shaved on the side. A little, he looks like a butch lesbian. Um, That's and, great. And he's like, I'm Anthony DeVolder. I'm from United from you know, What can we do to reach out more to the trans community to let them know about, uh, you know, how Trump is great? Wow. Like, what the fuck are you even doing in life? <laughs> wow. You just are making crazy shit up I, all the time so what, yeah. about absolutely everything. He's, he's compulsive. So, it's so, everything. So a little bit of analysis here. Yeah. Republicans have a very slim majority in the House. Yes. They kind of need him. They ass. need him. That's yeah. why do what you do you think happens? Well, we, I got, mean, like, how, every, how many, every, local, every local elected official we're in on New York three demanding now. he should go. Yes. 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 Suff- Suffolk County GOP has said, time to walk away. But. Yeah. He's and being investigated he's in, by the feds, by the New York uh, State and Nassau County. Yeah, yeah. right now there's yeah. an FEC federal FEC in, in, investigation. Um, yeah. and like you know, he was represented, probably getting financed through some kind of Ponzi scheme situation. Yeah. And he's also being rather embarrassingly investigated again by the Brazilians. The Brazilians yes, are coming out. Right. I don't think that's going to get anywhere. But that'll it looks... go as far as the South Sudan investigation. <laughs> For pissing his pants yeah. in Brazilia. Somebody that's a a corruption <laughs> investigation in Brazil. The it's time going to come to a close any time in our lifetimes. We uh, are recording this on a Friday night, unusual. Yeah, and, unusual. Um, yeah. And uh, the Times, New York Times, um, uh, came out uh, just earlier today that there was a uh, a huge kind of not dossier, but like uh, 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 there had been done a background investigation uh, of him in 2021 by the Republican Party, local Republican Party, as kind of vetting him for his congressional run. And it came out with all this shit yeah. or lots of it. And they're like, holy crap. So like what we're going to see now to answer your question, Camille, is every one of those things, especially from the local Republicans who want him to die because mm-hmm. they're they're trying to win competitive elections on Long Island. You Island, can't yeah. have yeah. crazy people calling themselves Jewish yeah. Um, yeah. and doing all this kind of crazy shit. You're going to lose next time and yeah. the eight times afterwards. But McCarthy is not going to do anything until it becomes too uncomfortable. Like the stink is too much for him to bear. So I mean, it's going to be it's uh, astonishing that that hasn't happened already, though. But I like, mean, at this point, they can't expect to get much of anything done. You've gone through probably the worst thing that can happen to you in terms of like the Tea Party Republicans actually mucking things up for you. Like Anything you pass that you actually care about will die in the Senate. So just cut your losses and get rid of this asshole. Well, I mean, it's a five seat majority and. You need every vote. He voted for McCarthy all 15 times during the speaker thing. And if there is a special election tomorrow, Democrats will win. It's a Joe Biden plus 10 district. And the local Republican doesn't look that great. Um, I mean, the him, Santos, there's other Republicans who might be fine. But like, it is such an obvious, like, fuck up from everybody. It's amazing that it's a a Biden plus 10 district. And they voted in a... Guy who's like, even if you didn't know all this stuff, there's something off about him. When you see him talk, you see him <laughs> the sweater. There's like something a little weird about yes, him. Yeah. And this, you know, 
gay Jewish fighter pilot. What, I mean, I don't even know what else. Like, he survivor of Pearl Harbor. His mother's mother was, was uh, he, employed, he wrote over Lockerbie. He, he wrote a very fine Holocaust memoir. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> he employed four people who died in the Pulse nightclub shooting. Is that true? No, that, yeah. no, it's not true. But that's, did he actually say that? Yeah. Yes. Oh. No, he didn't. Oh, yeah, yes, he did. I, I, I didn't knew see he that made one. some claim about the Pulse nightclub shooting. Right. Did he say four people? Is yeah. it four? So he has. Jesus, so he, one. he's one of those four. people. He's one of those people. That's it's an interesting type of fabulous. That one, the the one who needs to connect themselves to major events. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he needs to be committed. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a like form. It's well. a form of extreme narcissism. But the, it, it, actually, quite a lot of people ex- sort of do have a little bit of this. Yes, which is they Johan they, they want Johan Hari, Johan Hari yes. fellow yeah. countryman. Yes, uh, should have him on the podcast. Yeah, should have him on. Yeah. He's amazing, isn't he? Oh, yeah, he'd tell you all about his Holocaust memoir, but. The, uh, the... Right, chasing the scream, is that him? Yeah, yeah, yeah that was I mean, the drug one. I've yeah. stopped reading him. Yeah, yeah. After... Oh. yeah. I stopped reading him. But you guys used to do ago. some work together, though. I edited, as I've mentioned on this podcast before, I edited yeah. one piece from him, and it's one of yeah. the bigger regrets I've ever had. We should have him on the podcast. Yeah. Douglas is best friends with him. Is that right? No. They used no. to have an apartment together in <laughs> in Blackpool, which is a very weird place yeah. to live. But, yeah, 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 yeah. We yeah. used to shoo the breeze. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I've I've met him a couple of times. He's a very pleasant person in person. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, he they revoked he, his Orwell Prize, didn't they? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, uh, well, he 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 was one of those people who made stuff up. Who it was all just too obvious. Like uh, yeah. um, as anyone who's done any war reporting knows, like you, um, there are certain things that just you just smell of horse shit. Yeah, and uh, he did one from the Congo where he claimed that some children came with their parents' heads and they were carrying their parents' heads and were like, "Where do we go?" And it was just like, that, "No, that didn't happen." Yeah, that didn't yeah. happen. And uh, he reported this and won the Orwell Prize for that piece, among others. Now that really does piss me off. Because if you make shit up and you push other journalists aside because you've just made yes. up quotes, obviously everyone ran his table. Like it's, yeah. it's very annoying. And Americans seem to have forgiven him for this. I can't really. Um, but I was delighted the last time I bumped into him. He told me that he was writing the official biography of Noam Chomsky. I thought it was, it was um, positively appropriate. Yes, it is. Fantastic. Fabulous taking on a, yeah. a, a fraud. Um, people know what I think about him and this podcast, but Chomsky himself has, um, a lot of people, I wouldn't say on the right, there's some people in the kind of libertarianish world who have always liked him because of his, yeah. his, uh, stance on American foreign policy. But, um, you know, even Coleman had him on his podcast, uh, mm-hmm. not long ago. Um, I mean, he's about 700 years old now. Mm-hmm. He looks like Gandalf. He's just he like does. kind of, you know, doing the same old thing, but, um, but, but much slower. And I think it was because <laughs> he signed the Harper's, Harper's letter. Uh-huh. And that right. was when, like, oh, he's a, but you know, he's, he's been fairly consistent in ways on this. And he um, once signed a letter that got him in a lot of trouble about a, a French Holocaust denier. Yes, that's right. Paul, was it not uh, Paul uh, Rassinier? Paul Rassinier. Paul Rassinier. Yeah, yeah. And uh, God, you know your Holocaust. I do. Tonight. I do. Well, I mean, if you're I, named Michael yes. Moynihan. Yeah, I mean, this to, is a like, this is a podcast, so no one can actually see me putting the air quotes around Holocaust. But <laughs> <laughs> as I call that's it, a joke. Yeah, it's a joke, people. Yeah. I call it the so-called cost. Um, <laughs> also so, a I'm joke. Kidding, I'm kidding. Also a joke. I'm kidding. 
Very much happened. Yeah. Very much happened. <laughs> it did happen. Yeah. It's always the weird thing about Nazis or Holocaust deniers because they want it to have happened, but they say it didn't. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it wasn't oh, so bad. It wasn't yeah, that yeah, bad. Wasn't that this, bad. Is, this is a bit of a diversion, but do you know my favorite story about that? No, I don't. Uh, there's a book. There's a, there's a book. Uh, the rather overrated uh, Hannah Arendt wrote a book called Eichmann. Uh, in Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a very bad book. Yeah. Which is inexplicably widely read. Uh, there's a very good book that came out a few years ago in Germany called Life Before Jerusalem, which, it, uh, among other things, has the first records put together of what Eichmann was doing in the 1950s in South America, maybe yeah. in, in Argentina. And the best thing is there's a group of neo-Nazis, mainly from the Netherlands, who form this group in uh, in South America. Yes. They're like uh, yeah. keen to – among other things, they're passing around this thing called Six, Did Six Million Die? And uh, that was one of the first Holocaust denial yeah. things. And uh, they, were, they were very aware already. The problem is the Holocaust. We've got to, like, we've got to get that out of the way because that was bad PR for our side. And, and so they, they're, they're Holocaust deniers already. And they discover – that Adolf Eichmann wasn't as uh, hidden as he pretended, as people pretended in re- after the years that he was. Quite a lot of people in the German community in, uh, in, in, in Argentina knew who he was. Uh, he ended up attending these meetings of this group in the 50s, and there's this magnificent – account. Uh, Bettina something is the name of the woman who wrote the book. Anyhow, um, there's this magnificent account that Eichmann on tape is is recounting in, in about 10 <laughs> sessions, is recounting what he did. And all these neo-Nazis like sitting there going, oh, you know, this, is, this is good stuff. Here we go. And he gets in and then the last lecture, he explains how he killed 6 million Jews. Yeah. And apparently, <laughs> there's silence on the tape for about a minute afterwards, because He's misjudged his audience. Wow. <laughs> They've misjudged their speaker. Yeah. They were hoping he was going to say he didn't do it. And he is angry that they are taking away his life's work. Wow. Wow. It's amazing that uh, in uh, there is a, the interview. The, the Dutch guy did – there was some interview that he did with, with, a, with a few Nazis. Sassen. Yeah, he, he, yeah was, exactly. he was a Nazi himself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but it is amazing that you misjudge the audience of Nazis when you tell them, okay, the Holocaust thing, that was great. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah. but aren't you guys Nazis? And it's, uh, yeah, no, we're not. We're, we're Nazis, but we pretend this didn't happen. No, it's a, it is, that's a very, very odd thing. And the Icon of Jerusalem is a bad book. It is, it was a series of New Yorker. I think essays initially. And Eichmann duped uh, yeah. an Arendt among yeah, others. Absolutely. Duped yeah, absolutely. Thinking that he was merely banal. We talked a little earlier about um, history yes. and the things that people misremember after a long period of time. It, it seems as though we're living through a very interesting period of time now. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose the time you're living in always feels kind of interesting to you anyways. But it was this past week that there was a piece in the Washington Post. Um, this is January 9th, 2023 about the Russian Facebook oh, nonsense. Oh, yes, 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 and yes. this was a, a, an analysis carried out by, by some organization reported on by the Washington Post and reaching some... It was some bland, like, you know, academic. It yeah. wasn't like, a you know, some right-wing yeah. or left-wing thing. Yeah. Reaching conclusions about the Russian <laughs> yes. troll farm and whether yes. or not it had any impact on the, the election yeah. itself. And interesting, the title of it is Russian trolls on Twitter had little influence on, 20, on the 2016 vote, which even in the headline there, it overstates it. That's wrong. Yeah. Uh, it had no impact. No influence. It had yeah. no measurable That's what impact they determined, yeah. on the outcome well, well, of the well, election. Known which this, is, this yeah. has been known by sensible, sane people. Yeah. Obviously, if it's getting published again in 2023, there are plenty of people who don't know this. But what I found interesting, and by plenty of people, I mean folks like Chris Hayes who tweets. Um, this is a tweet from Chris Hayes. 
It's weird to watch the sprawling Russian interference operation in 2016, which involved multiple GRU units engaging in criminal sabotage with the aim of electing Donald Trump and allowing full Russian annexation of Crimea and the Donbass get get retconned into a story about bots, which... I mean, got some issues with that. Tweet. I got some issues with that tweet. Yeah. 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 There's some, there's some problems with that. Yeah. Timeline problems. It's some timeline problems. I mean, yeah. but the thing is, is that if they hadn't talked about it endlessly, I mean, if you just went and said, okay, this hacking, this cozy bear stuff, mm-hmm. pretty convincing that this was a Russian job. Right. And the indictments of the 10 or 15, I think, I think they were GRU agents uh-huh. is absolutely fascinating reading. The, like it's 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 one of those rare court documents that you can actually flip through pretty quickly and say this is like this is a this is like a John Le Carre uh, a book, um, but not as pro Russian as a John Le Carre book, um, but <laughs> more uh, exciting. Is a little more, yeah, yeah, it's not as like plodding and tedious. Yeah. Um, but but that stuff is real. That stuff happened, right? But when you like there's there's this this confluence of things here because what happened after was you have this enormous campaign to say that we didn't lose this. Hillary Clinton didn't lose this because she's a bad candidate, mm-hmm. right? We lost this because they weren't thumbing the scales. They had fallen asleep on the scale. Mm-hmm. And it was pushing it down, and it was Facebook, and it was Twitter, mm-hmm. and all these people are just getting this, you know, f- you know f- uh, fake, fake news, by the way, which I pointed out many times, was appropriated by Donald Trump. Right, from yeah. Hillary Clinton. It started as a Hillary yeah. Clinton thing. She was talking about fake news, Russian fake news, and um, so it, go, it goes from the fake news stuff to misinformation to disinformation, and then an entire industry uh, is is born out of this. And there's no interest, of course, from anyone to go back and say, is any of this stuff actually true? And there was an early-ish piece from Politico where they actually went through um, ads right. and things that were posted on Facebook and had the actual numbers. Right. And there were people, the number of impressions, 500. 700, mm. 900. I mean, you have things on Facebook that have, you know, tens, 20 million in one day. This is a very common thing. It reached almost nobody, but that didn't matter, right? And I, and I think it on. was, it wasn't even just impressions. We were getting impressions and engagement. Engagement too. Yeah. And the impression yeah. numbers in some instances. Because well, you're scrolling by. Like, it. Sounded huge. Yeah, because they're just scrolling. And even by the way it. Facebook talked about the story publicly, all of it made it seem like this could be a big yes. deal. Yeah. Because the stuff that they were reporting kept suggesting that, you know, they're important and influential and, mm-hmm. you know, their mistakes were made. Perhaps they were a little afraid of having Congress come down on them particularly hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's, but all, it's just oh, bizarre. Yeah. One, one final thing is, is, is always keep in mind that what happened in February, March last year is something to remember when we're thinking about this, which was me, just like everybody else, assumed that the Russian military would cut through Ukraine like a hot knife through butter and it would just end in, you know, 30 days and it'd be a protracted guerrilla war, basically. And that's what everyone predicted, myself included. And then you realize that not only... Were these people completely unprepared for this? The Russians, they were under-equipped for this. The military—I mean, you're not calling up, you know, tens, hundreds of thousands of like, you know, guys that are working at a video store in Murmansk to come and shoot a bolt-action rifle that's been rusted out for 20 years. Mm. It's not only that; it's the fact that you can't kill the Skripals without being spotted, and you know, then sitting on RT. You know, this is the couple, couple and um, uh, the defectors that were poisoned in, in the UK. And you have the guys. We know who did it. 
And they're on TV on RT saying, uh, we like uh, churches, uh, Coventry, very great yeah. churches. And they're this amazingly stupid thing. And the number of things that they have done when it comes to intelligence that they just muck up and they get caught on constantly. You know, one of the biggest problems is – the biggest problem for America on this is that for the best part of six years, uh, Russia has been impossible to discuss sensibly in this country yes. yeah. uh, because of domestic politics. Yeah. Uh, it's been looked at like everything else through the lens of Donald Trump, mm-hmm. through the lens of other things. Uh, or some people on the right have fallen into – Very much so, yeah. tro- I mean, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time talking about where the left has gone wrong. Uh, this is where the right goes wrong, is where it falls for, you know, people like Putin running their narratives and, um, you know, having their own admirations for him. And I, I have as much contempt for that as I do for the the equivalents on the, on the left. But this has become a big problem in America because you now have... Why do you think that is on the right? Why, how do you think that happens? Well, I think it's lots of things. Uh, but one is, and this, this has gone on for, for a long time now, is... We have to remember how many people weren't alive when the Berlin Wall fell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard. And who really don't know. I mean, think of how many people who are, uh, are talking as we speak who don't remember 9 yeah. 11. I mean, you know, it's a useful exercise always to remember. I mean, this is, this is now ancient history. The, yeah. the, Berlin Wall. Mm. the idea that, that, that Russia actually was an enemy and that we were in a standoff and that this was a standoff which wasn't clear it would end that way is sort of is, is, is history that is being forgotten. Mm. And so w- what, what's hard for people to realize at the moment is, yes, there was, for instance, a weaponization of Russia against Trump. And a mainly unfair one, in my own view, and, and a very tactical one. The same thing was done in the UK with the, uh, against the Brexit vote. Uh, uh, the same attempt to pretend that the Brexit vote <coughs> had been influenced by uh, Russia, yes. which was absolute mm-hmm. nonsense. Mm-hmm. It been influenced by yeah. 30 years of negative feelings about the EU from the UK. But the same, use the same, their phrase, the same it's all, for all forms of election denialism, which yeah. is a phrase that's popular now. I mean, that's, yeah, we didn't they lose were, this fair and square. Yeah, they, they, they were, they were doing election denialism before anyone else. And, um, the problem is it's very hard, it seems, for some people to hold into their head the two thoughts simultaneously that, one, Russia's influence in the West has been massively exaggerated. Two, Russia is not a benign actor. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, look at anything like the Snowden story or anything like that. You immediately get caught up into sectional, political, intra-American, domestic issues no understanding of what happens in Russia. Absolutely zero understanding. The most important thing we've learned since the beginning of the Ukraine war is one of the, the most important lessons ever to learn about, about corrupt states, which is that corrupt states are never corrupt only at the top. If they're corrupt at the top, they're corrupt everywhere. When, when Vladimir Putin gives $1 billion to sort out a new um, network of communications for the military, yeah. Turns out it doesn't work in the first few weeks of the war. Turns out that the commanders have to use landlines to call back to Moscow. Turns out then you can identify where they are and the, and the Ukrainians uh, zap them. Uh, um, because 900 and something million dollars of that went straight to the pockets of everyone else. Because if the top is corrupt, why isn't everyone else corrupt? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very good lesson in our own day mm. of, uh, uh, about uh, corruption. The second thing is it's an important thing of, of actually working out what your enemy is competitors are rather than relying on kind of little nuggets of information it's also attributing sort of these little ideological flourishes that 
the Russian government doesn't actually care much about or adhere to. Oh, yeah. It make people think they're one of us. It's like, you know, you can have Putin giving speeches about Ukraine and talking about wokeness in this, right? Mm -hmm. And when you first saw people on the right, I would say the first person to actually, who was a real ardent cold warrior, but the first person in the 1990s who starts drifting in that direction is Pat Buchanan in America. Yes. And that is a religious reason. So, you know, you have the godless Soviet Union replaced by people who are now elevating the Russian Orthodox Church. It's religious and it's all... And all these scumbags. It's religious and it's, but it's also anti-interventionist, which is where... That's another thing, which is amazing. As the most interventionist country... In but their anti, neighborhood. Anti-U.S. intervention. Yes, of course. <laughs> they don't care about anybody else. People yeah. who think yeah. that, like, uh, the American empire is a problem. Um, so combine that with the re- religious thing. It makes perfect sense. It's, yeah. mm. it's, a, it's, it's one of the reasons why, you know, on this podcast in, in the written form in 2016 and 17, when we were talking about these issues, um, like, people wanted to draw the lines that, you know, what, but John Chait from New York Magazine was like, you know, Trump is an asset. Maybe yeah, he's yeah. been an asset for 30 Since years. 1987, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and people saying this, whereas, um, you know, I, I don't think that Brexit was a, a product of Russia or Vladimir Putin at all. And I also think he was totally rooting for it. It makes sense. There, it, like, of course he, of course it, he would it, be. It, that, yes. that fits with his well, project. Well, there are projects that fit together. Yes. Donald Trump's project of nationalism and the people who are interested in that, it fits a lot with Putin. Putin's aware of that, and he like will in, insert wokeness into a speech because yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. it's helpful for him in ideological battles in the West. But like that actually makes a lot more sense. Than it makes somehow it makes, it makes perfect sense, yeah. and it's it's incredibly boring when you think about it. You need to have that kind of chait, you know, conspiratorial edge to it because FPO in Austria, uh, Front National in France. I mean, these people that have been obviously getting money from the Russian government. And being very, very cozy, always ending up in the Kremlin, always kind of showing up in RT. It's, there's nothing complicated about it. It's like these are people that would love to chip away at the, the unity of the European Union if there is such a thing. And who are, uh, yeah, are I mean, unity. And is. who are critics? Yeah. And, and you can agree with a lot of their criticism of, of the EU, of the sclerosis in Brussels, of the stupid decision making process, yes. of like elites in Davos and the whole thing. Like it, 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 it lines up. It's not a conspiracy. It just, it, their interests align. It's weird when it comes in the form of people like Viktor Orban, whose yeah. political career depended on being anti-Soviet Union. Um, but also it's his natural sense of things that he's against the EU and he's going to fight against it. And of course, Putin's going to be an ally. So that well, fi- you know, final thing is, I don't want to get to uh, digression to, to go too far here, but is the, the final thing is, is that it, it's confusing to people. Because there's no real coherent ideology, and I know people say this that, that this is wrong, but I disagree. There's no real coherent ideology to Putinism. There's not one that's easily grasped by somebody in the West. You could say well, this is a country that that has, has fought you know tooth and nail against Islamism, and then uses one of the most psychotic Islamists to wage war in Ukraine. And the, uh, didn't and the fight against Islamism. Well, no, no. I'm saying I'm saying that's the kind of idea. Of that it, you know, that he was a bulwark against Islamism in his neck of the woods until then he wasn't, right? Until when he could use he, troops he, from yes. Chechnya and to, he got, to. He got the sacred uh, warriors, of, yes. uh, the Chechen warlords, to yes. slaughter Ukrainian Orthodox Christians. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, again, you, you've got to be a real idiot, in my view, to, to, to fall for this stuff. But unfortunately, a large, a number, lot of people a large number of people have. The answer to Putinism is very straightforward. I just got back from Ukraine the other week and. Um, uh, it, 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 it's, it's, it's not hard 
as a test. Uh, all sorts of criticisms you can make of Ukraine, all sorts of throat clearing you can do. You're not allowed to roll your tanks into another country. Pretty simple. It's really straightforward. Yeah, yeah. And I've had a lot of rows in recent weeks since coming back with um, various friends across uh, Europe about this because there's a lot of weakness, as there is in the Republican Party in this country, I would very say. Much so, yeah. uh, very much so, Very worrying uh, weakness about it. And it's, it's really quite straightforward in my mind. Uh, and the only excuse they can go towards is to absorb a bit of the – Kremlin's propaganda, which is Ukraine isn't really a country. Sure. And that's, well, of course, as I say to friends in Central and Eastern Europe, that's what they said about you in the 50s, you know, mm. when, they, when they rolled their tanks into your countries. And you didn't like it then. Poland's heard it a few times. Uh, the Poland's heard it a few times. <laughs> just and won. by the way, and also, one of the important things that people don't realize is that the whole, na the whole no notion of nationhood is... Um, is incumbent upon moments like this. You actually make uh, a country at a moment like this. Mm. Um, I saw this myself, the front lines. You see um, women who gave birth in January, gave their children over to their mothers in February and haven't seen their children since because there's no rotation on the front lines. Uh, what are they fighting for? They're fighting for everything, fighting for their families, fighting for their children, fighting for their loved ones, and they're fighting for their country. Mm -hmm. They are fighting for their country. And if anyone says, well, there isn't really a sense of sort of unity of the thing, <laughs> Vladimir Putin has given them a sense of unity. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Without a doubt. So I, I have a sort of special type. I've got a lot of types of contempt in me. But, <laughs> but I have a special that about you, I have a special type of contempt for people who who miss the simplest part of the picture. Mm. Something like that. You just don't invade another country. Mm. Seems rather obvious, but so I want to take this in a slightly different direction. Um, first, I want to I want to begin by apologizing to you for what our country has done to your country in recent years. Um, <laughs> our our cultural contamination You're has talking about Meghan managed Markle? to find its way across the pond. <laughs> he is exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, I'm right. not. Yeah, well, I don't, yeah. I don't really care about the royal family stuff. It's not about the royal family. It's not about that. No, it's not about that. But like uh, bigger Moynihan, Moynihan sent uh, a headline to us. From back in the day, this is back in 2020. This is something that he, he pulled out of one of your books. Yes, about I pulled this out of book right back, yeah. 27 police officers injured during largely peaceful <laughs> anti-racism <laughs> protest in London. That BBC a, headline. That is, a, that is a BBC News yeah. headline. 27 and police. That, it's hard and, to injure a police officer. I need, to, I need to say this so it's clear <laughs> to you. When I read this, 27 police officers injured during largely peaceful anti-racism protest in London. There is no quotation marks there. No, it, it, it's largely peaceful largely because peaceful. I'm sure there were hundreds of it police officers it so, yeah. and only 27 of them yes. happened to be injured. Um, that that's our stuff. Yes. Yeah, you guys are doing it. Sorry. Yeah. That, and it's, yeah. it's weird. Yeah. It's weird. Um, and and it's I, it, yeah. I mean, this is, this is something you've written a great many books about. What are, what are your thoughts on how that happened and why it happened at that particular time? I mean, be, perhaps beyond the madness that was induced by the panic. And I want to add one small uh, data point before yeah. uh, Douglas answers. And I said it on this podcast, absolutely stunned me. And this is how ignorant I am. I'm, I've lived in the UK and I was shocked by this after the, the Black Lives Matter protest. I just happened to look this up and I think it's 1.5% of the population of the UK is black. Uh, it's higher than that. But, it's know. very low. It's, it's, it's under three percent, right? Yeah, it's under three percent. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a very small. I was thinking, you know, in a country where we have thirteen 
something percent. And the, the rhetoric was exactly the same temperature, mm-hmm. the same volume, I assumed. Maybe it's got to be higher than that. You know? Yes. Um, my view is that America has historically been a net importer of bad ideas, mm. principally French, um, uh, and has in recent years become a net exporter of bad ideas. Mm-hmm. And uh, the problem is really – the problem is mainly, it has to be said, in English-speaking countries – we're much more vulnerable to it than others. I mean, France, for instance, has its own problems, but they, they don't really absorb. I was in Paris re- recently, and I was speaking to friends, and they, they, they don't really absorb this American culture stuff. In yeah. fact, they make quite a big effort not to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of just. Yeah, easier. Thomas seems to do pretty well over there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can sort of, you <laughs> yeah. can definitely escape the madness in, yeah. in, in parts of France. For sure, yeah. And in Italy and elsewhere across the continent. Um, English-speaking countries are so close to the dominance of American culture mm-hmm. these days that, I mean, American news is reported. I mean, um, British news outlets would not have a Berlin correspondent who was as important as a DC correspondent. Uh, it, it is American news that is, is run as if it is British news, as if, as if it is local. It's the same, I would, I, I would argue, in Canada. I just came back from doing a monk debate against the great fraud Malcolm Gladwell the other week. <laughs> and we were debating uh, in Canada. And, you know, you guys are Canadians. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's just funny. Yeah. Um, and the Canadians. He's a friend of Canada. <laughs> He's right. Jamaican. Yeah. So. Is he Jamaican? Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, Wagwan star. <laughs> if, if you're listening. Uh, anyhow. Um, the Canadians have got this because they're so close to you and they mainly speak the same language. Uh, it's the same in Australia. Hmm. Uh, it's the same in New Zealand. You go to these places, they, they basically are imbibing American cultural exports and they don't fit. I mean, they really don't fit. Uh, but, uh, what who can is, you who, do when there's a culture that is dominant as American? Yeah. And by the way, what, what it has produced in recent years is something I didn't think I would see again in my lifetime is, uh, um, an anti-Americanism on the right. Yes. Um, anti-Americanism in the last 30 years has only really come, uh, outside of America from the political left. And now it comes from the right and it comes from people who say, you know, we want nothing to do with this thing. This thing is a toxic cultural export. It gives us crappy pop music it gives us violent lyrics it gives us nasty politics it gives us identity politics we don't want it and that is now a movement in in conservative circles across europe Hmm. and i think it will grow um and uh, and one of the reasons why it's very interesting living in america these days is because it is like um investigating uh, the primary cancer um, you know, it, 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 it is, it, Britain is suffering a sort of secondary infection. Hmm. But uh, America is obviously the place where all of the ideas have gone wrong. Well, the media class is pretty similar in the UK as, as it is to the US, right? I mean, uh, yeah. It's, it, it, and that's where we have, we have much more diversity in our media. You do. Mm-hmm. I would say that that, I mean, it, we, we've it's, got a robust right wing pr- print media. Yes, for a long which time. We do not have in the US. No, and it was always, you know, you guys never had the thing that the New York Times would say. I mean, they, 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 you know, recoil at this idea that they're a left wing newspaper. They will deny it. I mean, people that you work there are journalists or yes. print journalists, and they say, well, there's some of this, that, and the other. And then every Whereas, time a conservative gets hired, there's a near like revolt. Yes, and they're yeah. all they're all eventually yes. David Brooks. But you know, the thing <laughs> John that John McWhorter is not a, David Brooks. He's yeah. allowed but, to write about forests. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. About his ca- cappuccinos. That's what he. You know, what was that? The latte town thing. I just is? want him to write about his romantic relationships because oh, that always works. Please, out well. please don't. But you know, in the UK, where you had the Telegraph as a is a conservative paper. 
paper. The Times is a sort of right of center paper. The Guardian's a left wing paper. The Independent's a, a left wing paper. That doesn't exist. It doesn't. Well, it's online, but just barely exists. Um, but all you had those pretty clear delineations that we had 200 years ago when you go to, you know, the Springfield Republican. I mean, these, these, they all had names of the parties in the newspaper. It's a very common thing. I think it was actually the Springfield Democrat, which still, still exists. But we stopped doing that and pretended when there was three television networks and, you know, a couple of national newspapers and local newspapers, right? A lot more local newspapers then, obviously. But the idea then is this is the one place that you're getting news. And they're like, you know, most places are single newspaper towns in a lot of ways. I mean, Boston had the Herald, which is a, small kind of, you know, tabloid paper, but the Globe ran the show. And if you told people at the Globe that you guys are left of center and you're put, they would deny it. They would say, no, no, we are just giving you the news. Whereas in the UK, you had this variety in a kind of small country where you could go, you could be in Hull and go in the morning and get the Telegraph and the, everything's mm-hmm. a national newspaper. Mm-hmm. We didn't have that. Um, we, we had a different kind of world, but at the same time in the BBC, the people that run kind of the BBC, the people that are in the leadership of the I, of ITV or commissioning documentaries, that stuff is running in one direction, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the BBC has a commitment to impartiality, which it does not pursue, but which is, is, is an aspiration. But they have and, you on. They'll ask you to I've, on, I've right? had a, I've had a, um, uh, no appearance to the BBC for about uh, six years now. You haven't been on? They won't have me on since uh, I, I did something totally reprehensible. Uh, is uh, you're being sarcastic or you're being serious? No, I'm being serious. Were you, was it reprehensible? Uh, I took a very dim view about the suicide bombing at the Ariana Grande concert in Manchester. The ra- that, that's a radical uh, and, position. Um, um, uh, said what I thought on air. In that, in your your band after, I that. was actually encouraged to do so by the head of programming. I don't think I've said that publicly before. Anyhow, Did I think you use the word "muzzer" or like what? No, what I just I said um, there's there's a reason why we've got so many attacks at the moment, and it's because we don't know who's in the country, and we're letting people in who shouldn't be in, and uh, Poland doesn't have this problem because it's not doing that, and uh, I think that's, I stand by that. Um, but uh, it w- I mean, we had two of the three London Bridge attackers were, were illegals that were not shouldn't have been in the UK, yeah. and they were living under different identities. And they went across London Bridge, slitting pregnant women's throats, shouting "This is for Allah!" And I just thought everyone in Britain ducked it, and I was so furious. And I was on the BBC, and the, when the head of programming said, "You're obviously," they said, they, the, "the thing they said to me off air was uh, we're missing the general public." And I said, "Yeah, like hell you are." 23 young girls have just been blown up. Like, people aren't happy with this at all. Mm. And uh, they said, would you help us try to breach the gap between us and the public on this? And I said, sure. So and then I did. And then I said what I had to say, and I was never asked on again. You no, don't know, just, we don't know why, um, but Morrissey was just dropped. His his new record was supposed to be on a Sony uh, subsidiary, and it was dropped. We don't know why. But the n- name of the album is mm. Bonfire of the Teenagers, and yes. the song is about the attack yes. at, in Manchester on the Ariagra. Well, that was, that was one of the things that happened at that time. Yeah. Morrissey praised the book I'd just written, The Strange Death of Europe, and told all of his followers that they should read it. And I had a very strange experience. This sometimes happens as an author, but, and you sort of don't want it to happen, but occasionally it does, that a book is too relevant. And the book I'd just written was about everything that was 
just about to happen in Britain. It happened in the weeks it came out. Mm. And I was dropped from a number of programs, apart from this one. And and I said to one of the bookers, I said, I "I know what the problem is. It's too relevant, isn't it? And they said, yeah. Yeah, we can't have you on. And so you're, it's not an official ban, but you're just not, I mean, you're, you're, your books sell very well in the UK. Yes, I mean, I'm number one bestseller every time. And you're still not on the national broadcaster, but it's um, funded by taxpayer money. Uh, no, but they, they think I'm dangerous. Okay. Well, that's Which they're right in a way. <laughs> well, that's a good thing to, to be banned when you're number one. I'm reminded, uh, Moynihan, of our recent trip to Israel and, um, and, and a country I know nothing about. So, like, grain of salt with anything I say, but like the, the extent to which the bus bombings in, I think Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, um, mm. in the mid nineties, like just curdled public opinion away yes. from peacemaking, uh, as like a category of discussion. Mm. Like when you start bombing buses of kids going to school, like it's going to change the politics. Israel is the only country in the world. Um, I first went there during the 2006 war. Israel is the only country in the world, in the, in the developed world, I know, where the, the term left wing is used in the same way that right wing is here. It has the same inflection. That's right. Um, here, for instance, if you say uh, the left wing columnist, Douglas Murray. It's like, yeah, that sounds, sounds like a good guy. Yeah. And, um, and if you say the right-wing columnist, yeah. like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, it's, no, a right. it's a warning. Yeah, it's a warning. Yeah. It's, it's going to be ultra-right and ultra-conservative. And he's probably, yeah. probably going to get onto the Holocaust at some point. And, <laughs> I think that was you on and, the and podcast so, the other day who said that, that, well, you can't, that you never hear the phrase like in the mainstream press, like ultra-right. It was like the head of the deck in, yeah. in a New York Times story. Like that subhead yeah. was that the ultra-conservative. Yeah. Party, the it was Tea Party, the yeah, obstructionist, yeah, 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 the obstructionist, hard and they were like the ultra conservative. Yeah, uh, but you you right. hear in America about that about um, certain uh, conservative Jews. You know the ultra orthodox, ultra orthodox. Yeah. They're ultra orthodox. I yeah, love yeah. ultra is the most childish term too to say they're ultra they're ultra <laughs> orthodox. <laughs> AOC but, isn't but, ultra anything. She's progressive. I would but, say that mm. maybe Cori Bush, uh, maybe she gets an ultra. So, she's she's a member of the squad. It's when fun. you but when so you. But, this but, book, but I wanted to ask so you. Just, yeah, can, just to, yeah, to finish yeah. that point, the, the interesting thing in Israel is that the inflection on left wing is different, and it's because of what happened in the 90s. Yeah. It's because in Israel the left said that they knew the way to peace, mm. and then they got the bus bombings. And after Oslo, the, 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 just the terrible things, the, the nightclub bombings. The, the, and it, means, bombing, and, and it yeah. means that in Israel, the term left, to say, to say somebody is of the left, is actually like they're like naive and naive in a dangerous way. Even the journalists that we met who yeah. described themselves in our left, it was out of a sense of defensiveness. Yeah, they're on the back foot. Yeah. It's the only country I've ever been to where that's the case. Yeah, that's – yeah. So – but I want to ask you about the new book, um, which came out last year, right? It came out in April. Yeah. April last year, which was another barn burner. It, it mm-hmm. did very, very well. I saw it everywhere. It what was it? Did it? New York Times list. Yeah, New York Times list. Yeah. Um, no, admittedly, it's a smaller number now. It used to be much higher, but Doug, Doug get on it now. It's like twelve thousand. It's totally. He's not staying. He's just quickly. And then they get rid of him. They say he's wish, he's ultra right. We, we have, have to get videos. So you have to see the look. <laughs> yeah. my, my only appearances in the, in the New York Times in the last year have been in their bestseller list. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Take it out. Put it on the table. Yeah. Force you to look at it. Yeah. Take a look. <laughs> have a look. That that book. Um, is give people a sense of what the premise of that book is. I mean, that's the previous book is about Europe. 
and this is about the West in general and the kind of ideas that people have about the big, bad, horrible West. Mm -hmm. What was the motivation right now? Because you said the the strange death of Europe hit the moment, right? Mm. There was a there was a reason for that and hit the moment perfectly. It's after the 2015 mm. uh, immigration crisis, the migrant crisis, whatever you want to call it. What was the purpose of this right now? And what, why were you motivated to write this at the moment? It was really just the realization that uh, there was nothing that was left that had been unassaulted in the Western tradition. Uh, I, I think it was worst. It, you obviously saw it worst in the sort of statue toppling of 2020, but uh, it was a realization that every single figure one had revered was coming under the same form of assault. Mm -hmm. It's partly why I did this uncancelled history series recently um, to try to look into the actual stories of you know I mean tease out the, the complexities and the nuances, which is one of the things that our age is not very good at doing, hmm. um, willfully not good at doing. But uh, it was just a realization that, for instance. Um, Oh, everybody from obviously the founding fathers in America to Columbus, obviously, to Winston Churchill, yeah. to Voltaire, yeah. uh, to every Enlightenment philosopher. Everyone was just put through the same mill of living in a time of racism, living in a time of um, colonialism, living in a time of um, slavery. And everybody from the past was being put through the same relentless mill and being found guilty. And what worried me about this, among other things, was that the people who do this – uh, clearly carrying out an act of iconoclasm of a, of a kind that we've seen before. I mean, we yeah. saw it in the dissolution of the monasteries in the 16th century. Uh, we saw aspects of it during the Reformation. We, we, we've seen this historically. Um, but it, it, it's done by people who have nothing to replace it with, or at least nothing adequate to replace it with. Because if, if you actually decide that, for instance, reason – you know, not not only the, the sort of religious tradition, but the secular tradition as well mm -hmm. should be assaulted. Mm -hmm. If you decide that like, reason is part of the problem, um, accuracy is part of the problem. Yes. And I, you know, I go into all of these in the book. But I mean, th things like equitable maths are the solution, sort of voodoo ideas. Um, and, and I just saw this everywhere. And I thought somebody needed to join it up join the dots and explain what was really happening. And that's what I tried to do in the war in the West uh, is, is to say, look, this is just a, this is a complete wholesale hooligan attack on things that uh, I'm only in my early forties. So, I, but this already feels like an attempt at regime change mm. as if, uh, as if I've lived through a century. And this was the, the sort of roads must fall thing, which you write about. Yeah. Well, that's one, that one, was of, one of the, was that one of the things that made you, because that was the thing from the UK that caught my attention because that was getting a lot of press and people dumping statues of uh -huh. people that, you know, most of us had never even heard of uh -huh. into, you know, canals and rivers and yes. you know, spray painting the Winston Churchill stuff, uh -huh. which is a big shift, right? I mean, you could have big criticisms shift. of Churchill here and there, but the fact that he was a, now a genocidaire. And somebody who they make was, up, they make yeah. up shit about him. I mean, they, they they lie about the Bengal famine. They they literally attribute quotes to him that he never said. Mm -hmm. And and well, those are the Rhodes quotes you talk about in the book. There yeah, are, and they, they, they five or ten of those that are just completely invented. They just they, right? just, they just invented them. Yeah. They, they literally put the N word in where Rhodes hadn't said it. Like, there's plenty of criticisms yeah. you can make of Rhodes. You don't need to do that. Yeah. Um, with Churchill, it's extraordinary and very interesting, and it, it actually got to the, sort of one of the 
points I've been sort of exploring recently. I was speaking to one of Abraham Lincoln's uh, biographers for this series, and I said to him, "Why do you think? Why do you think people are coming for Lincoln? Because that's a very interesting yeah. person to assault." Like, okay, Robert E. Lee. Okay, sure, uh, <laughs> but but Lincoln. Uh, people on the south and the north sides. Why would you do that? And and um, and it was Andy Ferguson I was interviewing. Andy. Yeah. Andy said, uh, "To uh, to love Lincoln is to love America, mm. and therefore to attack Lincoln is to attack America." You're saying taking something out, and not just the the Civil War, not just Gettysburg Address, not just uh, uh, abolitionism. Uh, the idea, for instance, of coming from absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Basically, being born in the Iron Age, and having maybe one year of formal education and teaching yourself, and you know, pulling yourself up. This is the American story, if ever there was one. And so, if you take that out, you've basically taken out one of the big central things of America. And it's the same thing with Churchill. And when I was interviewing one of Churchill's biographers, his best living biographer, Andrew, Andrew Roberts, Roberts re- recently, he he just totally separately he made exactly the same point. He said, you know. Churchill is, 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 is Britain. If you take out Churchill, the British sense of self is, is gone. And it's not just, but it's not just that. The, the really interesting thing with this, the iconoclasm is that there is no attempt to recognize that there's a scale. There's a set of scales. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, let's say, let's say that Winston Churchill got something wrong as Home Secretary in 1910 which he didn't, but was one of the allegations against him. Wouldn't you say that holding the line in 1940 to 41 would count for something? You would think so. Wouldn't you say the Americans weren't willing to enter the war and probably wouldn't have done, actually, if Britain had been evaded then. Um, If Britain had been evaded, Hitler would have been able to go east sometime later with much greater likelihood of success. Um, and we would be living with a, a fascist Europe. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And it actually was the case that one man who felt called by destiny totally changed the course of history. Um, it completely changed the course of history. Uh, and said something which most people did't want to hear. And people don't also, they don't realize now that what it was to live in Europe after World War I, you were living in a totally, totally deracinated landscape. There's one thing you couldn't do, that never have that again. We can't have that again. We can't lose all the young men again. And everybody, for good reasons, was against it. But they had to again. They had to. And Winston Churchill was the one man who managed to rally people to do so. And for the most crucial months of the war, he held that line. And that's why we don't live with a fascist uh, um, uh, Europe. Now, that should count for something. And I discovered that all of these people lambasting him behaved as though there was nothing on the positive side of the scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's just an absurdity. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I, in a vacuum. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I tend to interact with people like this and get quite irritated about it. And... You know, this very this modern politicization of history for modern political ends. Mm -hmm. And you realize when you talk to people that you're making points that I don't even think they would know that they existed. They know Churchill in this kind of vague way. I always point this out about um, history of 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 Native Americans in this in this country is if you ask people about the Holocaust, 
you can usually get an Auschwitz in there. So you probably know that. They'll know Hitler. They'll know some of the big players. They'll know six million. If you ask people, they say, you know, the genocide of the natives, et cetera. If you ask them anything specific about it, they know nothing, literally nothing. Is there one massacre? The, nothing. Zero. And this is, uh, this is very consistent. Little Bighorn will be it. Little Bighorn, maybe. And that's, a, that's even a maybe. And, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, a recent thing that I saw someone going off on Lincoln, you know, this during um, that, um, you know, uprising. I was in Minnesota or something. They had this, the mass hanging of like 20 people or something. That was the thing that you're going to remember when you're talking about the entire scale of 1861 to 1865. Where hundreds of thousands of people are dying to eliminate this horrible institution of slavery. But I don't even think, and that goes to, I think, Andy Ferguson's point, and I love Andy, he's a hilarious guy, a great writer, a funny writer. Mm. And it goes to the point of like, when they don't know these basic things, mm-hmm. something else is going on because you're not, it's not as if you're weighing all of this stuff. I've looked at all this evidence as a conclusion I'm coming to. They tend to not even have the evidence. They know that there is a kind of older white male that's representative well, of this time in history hmm. that must be rewritten or eradicated because you believe this thing. Well, they know, yeah, well, they know one thing. Right. That the, the, the fastest way to understanding it is to believe that it was them that did it, mm. which is, of course, narcissism of mm-hmm. the most extreme kind. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, it, uh, um, you mentioned uh, the Nazis, but I mean, I, I ask, uh, and there have been polls, I've certainly seen polls of this in the EU and in the UK. I haven't seen one in the US in recent years, but ask people if they know anything about Pol Pot. And yeah, there'll be absolutely no exactly. name recognition. Yeah. No. Uh, Chairman Mao, not even no that. name recognition. Um, Idi Amin, base, I, I said something about Idi Amin. I have quite a funny story about him, uh, um, uh, which I told. It's not often you hear that as yeah. a throwaway. Yeah. Like, I have a funny Idi Amin story. Anyhow, but, but I, I told it recently in America, and I realized that almost nobody around the table knew who I was talking about. Yeah. And so, so I just, this, the, the easiest way is to say, for instance, China comes up. And there's a problem with China. And the easiest thing to do is say, well, you know, the Opium Wars, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that has anything to do with what Chairman <laughs> G is doing right now. It has nothing to do with him. Well, it's, so it's much, systemic. It's systemic, uh, yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's, it's systemic it's like, opium warring. Wait, we, we opium warred them, and then, then they fentanyled us. The, the, mean, well, later. a great example, yeah. by the way, is Thank in your thoughts. podcast, you interview a guy, Bruce Finley? Is it Bruce Gilly. Gilly. Who Born is a state pro- university professor? Yes, yeah, rather, a, rather surprising. Yes, rather surprising. Who takes and I, I appreciate you doing this because he takes a a rather uh, controversial view about empire um, and yeah, colonialism and, and colonialism yeah. and, and defense of colonialism. And the funny thing is, he wrote a paper about this, and you guys detail this in your podcast, and people should listen to this. And uh, the paper, well, he voluntarily retracted it after there was all this pressure from this academic journal. Well, I mean, it is sort of people tried to sort of say they'd murder all of the yeah. members of the advisory board. And he said, and the advisory gonna, boards yeah. of historical journals are never known for their bravery. Yes, yeah, the, the bravest <laughs> people on the planet. So there's one guy who is, and so I looked this up and I'm listening to this. This is literally on the way here. I'm looking at something on the train. And I'm looking at the guys, a guy who, who spearheads this movement to get rid of this paper. And he's a university professor, I think, in York, maybe, in, 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 in uh, uh, York University in Ontario. Uh, York. Right. And so I looked this guy up. And this is on his own page. This is not, not you know, somebody, you know, bad-mouthing him. It's on his own page. It says that he's a Maoist academic. Jeez. I swear to God, this is the guy that's like, we cannot have Maoist this. academic. I, he's a Maoist, a self-identified Maoist. Maoist. 
And I said, Academic. does anyone actually look beyond the surface of who his critics are? A Maoist, because like he's an apologist for genocide. This is this uh, Bruce um, uh, Gilly, I guess. That's what he said. Um, you know, he's he's the most horrible person. Is it okay that you can actually publish somebody who's apologizing for mass murder? Says the Maoist. And at a certain point, you're like, this is nothing is real anymore. This is all just some big laugh that everyone's having in our. Paul Johnson died today, or yes, yes, news that Paul Johnson died today, and and, and mm. you two gentlemen who I'm gesturing at, I uh, in particular uh, 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 know a lot about Paul Johnson, probably more than I. Um, but I presume at some point he did uh, a uh, at least a semi ranking of like of murders. Of people, <laughs> yes. Of like Mao, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mao's up there. Yeah, the tables are. Yeah, the yeah. Mao. The, com- the commies are really dominating those tables. But you know that took that took a long. I mean, the, the, we're still living in the uh, in the aftermath of the 20th century to such an extent that people don't realize. Still, we still it's still behind crime crime scene tape. The whole century. I mean, I mean, it, it, Jung Chang's work on Mao only came out 15 years yeah. ago, and that's probably yeah. the best one to get within 10 million of the number of people. And it was brutalized by, by reviewers, too. Yeah. And um, really we, we, I mean, we talk about it as if we don't really know if it was 60 or 70 million. Mm. Uh, so and we, we allow that latitude with the figures. Um, um, we, we don't really have very accurate views still on the numbers that Stalin killed. Um, I have this sort of uh, rather sick response to when people say, what's the one best defense of the British Empire? And I always say Amritsar, which is the Amritsar massacre in which many people were killed in India under British colonial rule, uh, was immediately investigated by the British Parliament Winston Churchill gave a speech in, in Westminster in 1919 denouncing, saying this is the worst day of the British Empire. This is the most appalling stain on our reputation. The the colonel in charge was immediately fired and uh, and so on. And I said, if this had been anyone else, you'd have never heard this name. Mm. We know about Amritsar because it happened under the British. You know about my life. Yeah, exactly. For the same reason. If, 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 if my lie had been done by the Russians, it w- nobody would have heard of it. It's being uh, uh, done by Russians. And it's right being now. done by Russians right now. No, but, but nobody would but care. There was, a, there was a comparable massacre that was actually much worse um, during the Tet Offensive. And uh, Noam Chomsky denied that it ever happened. Oh, yes, that's and right. then it was, the, the remains were dug up uh, many, many years later. It was very, very well documented, too. And, of course, the Vietnamese, the North Vietnamese, were not going to acknowledge this at all. And, and quite the contrary. They said that it was, it was you, know, you know, gruel propaganda from from uh, Washington. And it turned out to be absolutely true. And yeah, a lot of this, I mean, all of these things, I mean, look at Bucha, which happened. And if you look at what's going on in the media in Russia, and there's a lot of people that have been translating stuff about this, is, uh, and, and, and even people in the, in the West, there's, uh, I can't remember who it was, but there's some kind of right winger, one of these, these like pro uh, Putin right wingers, who has this elaborate conspiracy theory about what happened uh, in Bucha, that it was, it was actually the Ukrainians. It's all, this is always this sort of thing. And remember that Chomsky wrote a number of books with a guy named Edward Herman, who died what, a couple of years ago. Herman, when he kind of broke up with Chomsky, I don't think it was an acrimonious thing. I think they were just going their separate ways. He actually wrote a denial of the Rwandan genocide. Hmm. That is really going somewhere. I mean, that is really. Yes, uh, I mean, you've got to see what, what the purpose of that would be. Because, I mean, I mean, people are motivated, for instance, obviously to downplay the crimes of their yes. own political side. Yeah. 
It's a special there was, kind a, of it was somehow tied back to Western imperialism. Well, course. yeah, I mean, I mean, the same way that people are really uh, tetchy about using the word genocide to describe things, and a lot of the people who are the tetchiest about it are those who are anti-U.S. intervention. Yeah. Uh, if you use the G word, um, then it's understood that the next step is intervention. And I kind of get that as a concept um, or as a worry or as something, mm-hmm. but I don't get it as mm-hmm. it's language, dude. Like it either is happening or it is not. And yes, mm-hmm. it's going to be perverted by the yeah. political system and by players within it. Yeah. And that's the thing you got to watch for. But to get in there, and, and I saw this early, um, you know, uh, uh, when I came back to this country in 1998 um, and seeing all these people who were telling me that Srebrenica didn't happen. Sure. And, yeah. Who were, yeah. and this is a war that Matt, – Matt Welch, I have to say, they won't take credit for this, but it came up with a phrase a long time ago when I first was aware of your writing in the, the early 2000s um, that uh, if, you could, if you wanted to judge somebody – and their political reliability. Matt came up with something called Slobo Googling. So you would find out what they said about Slobodan Milosevic, and then you could judge whether they were a, a worthwhile even, person. Even there's a, a petition uh, out to get him sprung from The Hague. Um, oh, yes. And, and yeah. part of that petition was included, and, and I'm speaking from memory, so there might be some fudge, but uh, generally speaking, it was that there was going to be a uh, – that uh, Srebrenica didn't happen, that this and that and the other. A bunch of mm. claims were made to defend him and that these are all Western kind of plots to justify mm, It always happens. It always happens. Yeah. And um, and uh, Justin Raimondo from uh, Antiwar.com was one of the – that was when I first started uh, clashing uh, swords with him long before I had ever written a thing for Reason Magazine, for example, um, was one of the people out there. And I, you know, I had had a newspaper in Prague for five years and we had – Reporting from Yugoslavia in all but two of our issues, we ran from mm. 1991 to 1995. So we always had people on the ground writing about this, in some cases, being the ones who uncovered um, some of these massacres or some of these rape camps and other things like that. And to come back in this country in 1998 in a place where you're blessed with a lot more information technology at your fingertips and to see people who are given credence in some circles to deny that the things that my friends – uncovered oh, as I've, journalists I've, um and uh and i would send them those people i was I've like seen that repeated i've had that repeatedly in my own career uh when i came out from covering the war in northern nigeria some years ago immediately got people saying oh you know you made all this up you didn't see what you saw um it was actually i've had it since i got back from ukraine uh, oh that's this is uh, ukrainian propaganda and so on and, you, you know, you just sort of – there's to, to one extent, you despair. And on the other hand, it's quite invigorating to say, yeah, of course, you, you just stay sitting in your basement chair being an expert and uh, tell me what I saw with my own eyes. What, go, w- go on. Keep doing it. I wonder what you – do you do you have any interaction with Brendan O'Neill? Uh, who writes for the Spectator uh, quite a bit? Not, and, not interactive. I, mean, I know him a bit, yeah. Yeah, and, and Spiked and yeah, – yeah, yeah. Which, you know, because he was – his previous magazine, LM – which is called Living Marxism, uh, was put out of business because of a yes. libel trial. Yes. And there, you know, there, are some yeah. people, there are some people of that part of the left who remained sort of Marxist um, and still have, a f- I think, some kind of fondness for it. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And but, who tend to be very strongly anti-interventionist. And, 
Mm-hmm. But I mean, all of this stuff falls out in such strange ways, as we know, and it's falling out in strange ways in our own time. I mean, I, I think with one of the appreciations I have in recent years is is that I sort of much better understand what it was like in history. Hmm. I don't know about if you guys agree in, in what with respect? this, but well. Things like you just don't know how the hell it's going to go, <laughs> and and well, the great it's palace, such an underrated fucking point. Yeah, yeah. it's so underrated. It's, yeah, and you know, you're like because you, of course you read history and you think, well, it's obvious. You know, like I'd, yeah. I'd have been an anti-Nazi, obviously. Yeah, remember the White Rose group and got yeah. decapitated yeah. for sure, and I've done it from principle and and, and all that sort of thing. And uh, no, you'd have been a Nazi uh, if you were in Germany, <laughs> and, um, and, yeah. and if not, you were not in, you, yeah. No, but uh, yeah. I still uh, see you as but, Sophie Scholl. But, but, well, that's very But I mean, these were really unusual people. Yeah, I mean, as Clive James said about Sophie Scholl, like this isn't me, this isn't you, this is a very unusual person. No, that's same yeah. thing with same yeah. thing with uh, the Soviets. Everyone thinks they would have been um, uh, yeah. Pasternak or Solzhenitsyn, and most people wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. They didn't know. Maybe the Soviets were going to win. Maybe this is what it was always going to be like. Yeah. Maybe they were going to always live their lives like this. And and in our own day. Uh, I, th- I think there have been quite a lot of tests in recent years. Right. And, I mean, we've all failed parts of them, or we don't really know if we failed them because it's too early to tell. Uh, who the hell knows? But a, a sort of sense of uh, why aren't we a little bit more humble uh, in the face of this knowledge? Mm. What, what have you gotten wrong in the 20-plus in the years of being a journalist? Um, I... Things you regret. You look back on you say, oh, fuck that thing that I wrote. Um, in the last few years, the one that I've been criticized for quite a lot has been not writing more about COVID. Really? Uh, Yeah. A lot of people, I mean, sometimes you discover a part of your audience goes a different way. Like part of my audience is totally just not with me on Ukraine and things. I'm kind of sat out on it. Uh, I don't mind. Um, but uh, I definitely had people who were saying, you've got to speak up against the COVID stuff. Early on, and but, but in what respect? Well, basically, knowledge. like you've got to be against lockdowns, you've got to be against uh-huh. uh, all this sort of stuff. And my view was just like I- I've spent no time studying pandemics, yeah, mm-hmm. and I just can't, I can't talk about stuff I don't know about, or come to a swift decision about something which will affect the lives of millions of people yeah. and say what I think when I've just position. kind of made it yeah. up. Well, you say that, but a lot, a lot of people don't respect that. Yeah, they really don't. They think you should be an expert on everything. You should be yeah. an expert on COVID, about lockdowns. You should be then an expert on Afghan withdrawal. You should then be an expert on ivermectin. You should then be an expert on, you know, Ukraine. And, and it's just... I don't think they expect know. you to be an expert. I think, I think they expect you to be tribe. All in line. To be, be in yeah. the tribe. And our tribe believes X this is where we're going. Yeah. And, so, and on the COVID thing, you have to... I never understood why COVID lined up the way it did until the lockdown stuff. And I, you know, naturally seeing people who are more libertarian, who are more skeptical of government saying things that, you know, the government shouldn't be locking us in our homes. Okay. That made sense. On the other stuff, I, it was falling in, in, in line in very, very strange places. I didn't understand where it was well, going to go. One explanation of why we're in such a state in all of our countries at the moment is that we've been put through a trial of about three or four totally different things in the last few years yeah. that have hived everyone off in such directions. It's, it's, it's not like salami slicing. It's just like slicing across ways. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and almost nobody has ended up in the same exact place. Sure. Um, and, 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 and that's why everyone's – I mean my observation about America is that everyone has fallen out with each other. I want to ask oh, That's you true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I want to ask you about some of the American rights response to wokeness. 
Um, and I use that word with some trepidation yeah, I don't because like I don't know what it means anymore. And for, worse than that, I am concerned that not enough people who are agitated by that stuff, social justice excess, actually have any idea what they're advocating for. And over the course of the last week, we saw the new governor of Arkansas uh, suggest that she was going to outlaw use of the word Latinx. In Huge Arkansas. issue in Arkansas. Of course, <laughs> no one is using the word Latinx yeah, in Arkansas. Yeah. And this is, this is so trivial that I can almost laugh at it. Yeah. But then also in the House of Representatives, they're planning to pass a new piece of legislation, which is going to be some sort of – well, not pass the legislation because they won't be able to. But they're introducing it anyways, um, a, a kind of national curriculum transparency bill, which is styled after a lot of the state bills, which were all motivated by the same sort of – we have to get critical race theory out of the public schools. And it's been interesting to see how people who are have been at least traditionally conservative, who were agitated by a lot of the race essentialist garbage that was being promoted and that was finding its way into classrooms, kind of shook out into t- different places, many of them deciding that what they need is kind of a robust federal response to this ideological contamination. And what they'll do is... I'm not sure exactly, depends on who you ask, but it's stuff like this, mm-hmm. which it seems to me it's either a stunt all on its own or it's a stunt. And also it is something that I think imperils certain civil liberties that to the extent I'm concerned about quote unquote wokeness, the reason I'm concerned is because it undermines certain fundamental values of mine, i.e. Yes. like the right to free speech and you know federalism as a basic idea mm-hmm. and concept And it was interesting to find – I was looking through um, different stories of the states that had tried to pass these curriculum bans. And in Colorado, they knocked one of them down. And you had the Democratic legislature (laughs) – in Democratic legislators in um, Colorado who were explaining why they rejected this. And they said, look, we don't need to pass a law to get rid of everything that we dislike to the extent there are issues with the curriculum – like people can go in and talk to their teachers. We don't need to get involved in this. Mm. My suspicion is that this won't be any good at arresting the actual concern with respect to what's wrong with the culture. But it may actually have some meaningful consequences in terms of perhaps giving people this con- reaffirm affirming people's belief that what they can do is simply legislate out of existence the ideas that they dislike. Yes, and that does seem to me like a very pernicious. It is a pernicious thing. thing if I can say so, there, there's one. There's one inbuilt problem we're suffering from at the moment, which is that we're not able to have these things out publicly. Let me give you an example. Mm. I'm still trying to find a term. Maybe a gentleman around this table can help me do so, uh, or a listener. It's a genuine appeal. We have to find a term for people who put inflammatory ideas out in public and won't defend them. Mm. That's. Give an example of that. So, Robin D'Angelo. Right. Okay? Uh, total fraud hugs are very, very dim in my view. Mm-hmm. Books are very unreadable. Horribly, horribly, horribly unreadable. Yeah. Uh, very fifth-rate academic. And um, one of the very few interviews she's done in recent years on Christian Amapur's show, not, not interviewed by Christian Amapur, but uh, – and I quote this in – I can't remember the Madison Crowds or maybe in The War on the West. She is asked about some sentence, some phrase in one of her books where she says something absolutely batshit crazy. Like something like, uh, there's been no improvement in race relations in America in the last 50 years. Something like that. One of those sort of things. And she's asked about this <laughs> and she says, what's your evidence for this? What's your data for this? And her reply is – 
I think that there is a glee in the, in the white collective when black bodies are punished. <laughs> okay, so you make one batshit claim and you're asked by, by the way, a black female interviewer what your data is for it. And you make another batshit crazy claim, which is even more batshit crazy than the previous claim. And what is the conclusion of this? Robin D'Angelo does not put herself up for de- for debates. She will not discuss her ideas. She will not um, contest them. Yeah. Same thing with Ibrahim X. Kendi. He will not discuss his yeah, ideas. Nicole Hannah-Jones. Yeah. Nicole Hannah-Jones. They yeah. put out these inflammatory lies, and they say we will not debate them. Now, whatever you have to say about it, there was an era, and again, one can be kind of uh, nostalgic about it and so on, but there was an era where – you know, Norman Mailer had to go to, you know, the hall in New York and defend his views on feminism with yeah. four feminists, including Jermaine Greer. And you very good film, by the way. Very good film. Town Bloody Hall. How many Town of Bloody them did he stab at that one? Yeah, about four. Jermaine yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Greer was killed during that. And the yeah. point is, is that, but you had to defend your ideas. And this was always, in America in particular, this was always one of the things. The whole point of the Lincoln-Douglas debates, you had to defend your ideas and do them in public. Mm -hmm. Now we have this strange class of provocateur, I would argue mainly from the left, that refuses to appear in public. Uh, And Jordan Peterson and I have put out this uh, challenge a number of times. We will debate like two or three of the best people from the other side. We'll get whatever they want, Madison Square Gardens, whatever they want as a venue, and we'll do it, and we'll have it out. They will not show up. We will offer the money for charity. They will not show up. So we have, a, we have an incendiary problem in America of people making incendiary um, claims who will not defend them. Mm-hmm. Now, that then drives the other side insane. And the other side then responds with banning and uh, is basically entirely reactive, which is, I think, what much of the American right has become. And one of the biggest problems in that is that it distracts you from what should be the main aim, which is to say what you're defending. Yes. And what you love. I don't know what they care about. Right. It's not enough to just attack wokeness. It's not enough to say, you know, we're against uh, like drag queen story hour. It's just not enough. What are you for? Mm-hmm. And I do think that, that conservatives in America have sort of forgotten that. And you could argue it's because they're sort of for a generation of being well, they've been, you know, sort of fiscal conservatives, and you can always get those guys. But what, who's doing the rest of the thinking? Mm. And I, I have to say, and this isn't a criticism of everyone on the American right or the European right, but by and large, you find that they talk about things that they are defending, which they don't actually know about. Mm-hmm. Like if you actually ask them, dig down i don't know what i don't know what have you what, what have you read this month mm-hmm. mm. as a sort of <laughs> are you asking me <laughs> no i mean but i kind of want to know talk about just, it actually just the, I, reading a lot of emerson and thoreau this past week uh, yeah, well i mean that's the thing is that you have people and i think that is 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 true and i you know said this about Talking people, when people mention, you know, the slaughter of Native Americans who don't have any specificity to, mm-hmm. to, to any of these claims. Not certainly don't know what it was like, like pre, pre-colonial yeah. times. They have no idea. No, well, no I mean, no, it, was, in, in, it was Eden. Yes. It was Eden. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. All peace. Yeah, it was all peace. They had and, all of their indigenous knowledge, which is the same as science. But exactly. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, it's amazing. But it is, <laughs> it is also that you have to actually have that level of ignorance to believe that slavery was a uniquely Western institution, a yes. uniquely American, uniquely British institution, whereas, you know, abolition is actually a uniquely Western idea. Um, but these are the things that, are, that, that kind of, you know, bum me out about this, for lack of a better phrase, about, you know, when it comes to people on the right, 
Because I don't, I've seen and I've talked to people, and I did a piece for the, um, I think it was for the HBO show that about maybe it wasn't. It was for just the uh, the cable channel that we that we had uh, or have. They have. I don't work mm-hmm. there anymore. I'm sorry about that. Uh, in which I asked. <laughs> when did guys, that happen? Oh, it did happened like, a couple something? weeks ago. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No, well, you got I, fired. Oh, it was it was it, the the did writing had been on the wall. The writing had been on the wall in like a Manson way, like inside the Sharon Tate house. There was like blood writing on the wall. I hope I hope, said helter skelter. You're going. My observation in American journalism is that when people lose their jobs, uh, there's a sort of shame associated with it. Whereas in Britain, if you get fired from a paper, everyone sort of celebrates in a sort of like, oh, you got fired again. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, good, wonderful, old boy. Wonderful. Fired again. Yeah, uh, is yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just okay. trying to pay the bills. That's all I'm worried about. But um. But no, in in that kind, when I asked this guy, um, who's a nice enough guy, he got very mad about when the piece came out about critical race theory. It's an interesting guy because he was in his like early seventies. He didn't have any kids. Not that he didn't have kids in the school. He didn't have any kids, and he was up there agitating every day in front of the school board. And 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 it was a kind of a bizarre. It gave him something to do in his twilight years. Mm. But when I asked him about like the specifics of where do you see this in the book? He couldn't point to anything. He said, no, this is the kind of general feeling of it. And I said, well, you can't really attack a feeling. That's not really, that's not what, you know, that's not what this is about. You have to say, this is the problem. You need to excise it and you need to respond with, you know, here's my solution to it. And I do find that what, you know, Doug just said on the right, when people are talking specifically like about the 1619 project, Mm -hmm. I don't suspect they know too much about um, the revolutionary period in America. Mm -hmm. I don't think they, they're, they're like, say, I, they just have this feeling that these are the people that are wrong. And they're right about that. Yeah. Well, they have a they're feeling, right that they, they are a, wrong. They have a feeling that their holy places are being attacked. Yes. 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 They are correct. Yes. Some, they are correct. Something is in jeopardy. Something is amiss. Certain yeah. ideals yeah. and values that I always yeah. thought were right are, are under attack. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the purpose of your book in a way. I mean, the, this, this, the kind of war on the West thing is that, you know, you have it all under one roof there. Because, mm. I mean, I've seen the bits and pieces of this everywhere. And then when you present it that way, it's interesting because that's the purpose of a book is to mm. take, you know, is to aggregate all these stories yeah, yeah, that you've yeah. seen and just say, oh, God, this is actually a thing. This is yeah. actually an issue. And this is actually well, a concerted attempt to make, to kind of re, my problem with this is the, and it's why I like the idea for the podcast or your podcast is the rewriting of history in the the most dishonest ways that you can mm, possibly imagine. Sure. And that's what you're saying, the balancing and the scales of these things, is of erasing or minimizing somebody like Winston Churchill to, you know, his worst moments, mm. the worst things that he said that probably made sense in 1920 and, and sound, they hit the ear in a kind of ugly way now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that's i mean to, to go sort of looking through people's trash well you to see, see yes. what they said that made make to make sure that we can exercise well, excise them and then f- replace them with somebody who you've never heard of so he, he, here's one proposal of what what i, what I think is going on yeah. the people who are doing that are doing something which absolves them of having to do any work okay uh i give the example of a student who some years ago said after I'd mentioned Immanuel Kant in a lecture. I, I, I've known two people in my life who understand Kant. Uh, exceptionally difficult philosopher. Yeah. And uh, I mentioned him in passing in relation to something. And a student said to me afterwards, it was an American university, a student said to me afterwards, well, you know, uh, Kant used the N-word. And I said, I 
don't think he did. <laughs> it would rather surprise me. Wait, was he singing rap lyrics? Or was <laughs> yeah, he... it, it, it would surprise me, but I, mean, I was trying to think what word in German. I, I don't have very much German. Yeah. I, I was trying to think what word might... The closest have, word is not what people think would have, what, Yeah, what it would have been. And, yeah. then, and then I realized I was racking my brain totally pointlessly. Yeah. Because what I realized was the student in question didn't need to read Kant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right, yeah. Because he'd, he'd absolved himself of responsibility, was, 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 yeah. was, had used a bad word once. Yeah. I thought, oh, this is terrific. Wow. I mean, this is a great thing to be able to do. Yeah. You, you can just like, yeah. David Hume, one footnote, bang, gone. Yeah. Don't yeah. have to read David Hume. Disqualified. Um, everyone's wow. disqualified. And then, and at, the end, and at the end of this, huh. what is there left? Glorious me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me, me, me. Wow. And, and now, now the risk is, of course, is that this act of stupidity uh, that's been mainly occurring on the left, um, then makes the right stupid as well. Because the right then res- responds to this stupidity on the left by um, batting back just individual claims by and so on. By being reactionary. By being mm-hmm. reactionary. And, um, and meantime, all the stuff we're meant to be doing isn't happening. Yeah. I mean, I had a friend who was speak- said he was speaking at, uh, I think it was Harvard some time ago, a tech friend, who said that every single question afterwards was a sort of identity politics question. Mm-hmm. And he said to the students, he said, I just don't know what you're doing. Like, uh, you should be working out how to live in underwater cities or like <laughs> how to live on Mars or, and you're doing this shit. And, um, and that's, that in a way is uh, I th- uh, one of my self-appointed tasks, I would say, is to like bracken clear. Mm. Is that, I, I want to get this stuff out of the way so that people can get onto the things they should be doing. Absolutely. For instance, yeah, yeah. the reason why I tried to nuke the idea of, um, of, of cultural appropriation in the last chapter of War in the West is because I just want us to get past this. Mm-hmm. It's too stupid an idea to be kept, <laughs> kept up yeah, on. Yeah, it's yeah. too stupid. <laughs> or if you put boundaries around culture, nothing happens the whole history of culture is sharing yeah. listening learning appropriating stealing yes. uh, 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 honoring yes. uh, everything imaginable and it, it doesn't belong to one person any any you you can't say you've got to pretend you didn't hear that thing you heard mm-hmm. yeah. no usa today yeah. today um had a piece about how maybe it's time that we start thinking about uh removing from our vocabulary words uh, cultural words like aloha that we don't really appreciate the full cultural. It's, it's very, it's, it's very, this is, this is stuff also, this worries me because that's like a very late empire thing to do. Mm. It's a very pre barbarians in the gates thing to do. Well, it's a, but, but I think the stupid thing is right. It's it's the stupidest idea, but it allows stupid people to, to the ability to participate. But isn't it exhausting? You see this all the time. Like, well, doesn't, it seem, doesn't it seem as though most people are thoroughly exhausted? But by Camille, this? how many unbelievably dumb people have stepped up to you in one of these conversations? And they know the script. You don't have to know much more than that. You don't have uh-huh. to have any sort of knowledge of history or anything like this. You just have to say that is cultural appropriation. It belongs to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And but you have, you have no you, right you to You can just say I'm offended. That's it. But, but, yeah. but beyond, beyond the, the sort of the kind of person who's likely to encounter me in a circumstance like that and try to have the argument, the average American, the person who's going to come out and pull the lever – I don't think voters are motivated by any of this. I don't think they are. This is, this is kind of an elite cultural clash that's. Uh, there. Yes, but it does. It, it, it does, does make me. No, but, but it does infect the groundwater in a lot the, of ways. But the reason. But here's what I'm asking: people because, will vote against that. 
but this is what I'm saying. They will people, not vote for it. But right, so people will vote against that. So then the question becomes: Is isn't there, or mustn't there be some sort of affirmative, aspirational vision that one could paint, like some sort of story well, that you could tell that people would latch onto? It seems it feels. I have this palpable sense that there is a clear opportunity there. Let me. No one is taking a hold of. Well, let me go a layer deeper than the political level, if I may. Yeah. Um, politics is always disappointing. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons why people shouldn't spend too much of their lives on politics is because it's it's always going to let you down. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't rely on it too hard. Um, which is the lesson people learn one by one. My experience. Uh, let's go to the level beneath this, which is. What are people meant to be doing um, with their lives? Mm. Um, this isn't made remotely clear in the most successful society on earth. Mm. Um, what well, is switching? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, let me let me take the most the most as it were the group of people who to whom the era is try, trying to practice the most extreme form of demoralization on, which is young white men. Uh, I thought it was young black men. No. You tell them the entire <laughs> society is arrayed against them and that well, they, will, they will fail at everything that they could possibly try to do let's because say of white a, supremacy. Let's say it's a runoff. Yeah. <laughs> Photo finish. Yeah. What happens in a society when, first of all, for every one American, there is six or seven young Chinese people working like hell to get the kind of lifestyle everyone in this country thinks they're born with the right to. Mm. What happens in a society when you say, um, you know, we're going to fix this language game. We're going to play this USA Today game. We're going to work out which words uh, this week uh, we could remove from the lexicon. And let's say they win on all of these games. Let's say they win on all of the games of getting exact quotas on boards in Hollywood, for instance. You get exact female representation in all of the elite professions. You get exact black representation in all of the elite professions. We're not going to throw more black men into buildings as firefighters. We're not going to throw more women into buildings buildings as firefighters but in all of the elite professions we'll absolutely nix it and make the country highly highly representative on a demographic basis or actually slightly overrepresented let's say we do all of that does america beat china almost certainly not almost certainly not why because we've been spending our days in an unwinnable game that isn't worth playing it just isn't worth playing. You have this terrible tragedy of modern-day America, which is that the most cultured, civilized, richest, mm-hmm. opportuni- opportunity-rich society that the world has ever known is wasting its time on bullshit. It's remarkable. And it is tragic. It's like reading about the last centuries of Rome and I have to say there has to be some kind of coalition of people who say, no, Mm -hmm. we don't have time to go at the speed of the slowest kid in the class. (laughs) We are not going at the speed of Robin D'Angelo. We are not going at the speed of of Ibrahim X. Kendi. We are not going at this speed. Uh, To hell with you. Brush them aside. Get them aside as fast as possible. But – the other side that say what it is we're meant to do. This is why yeah. I, this is why I love Elon Musk because at least he's saying like you've got to have something to get up 
four in the morning. Yeah. Like, like, why don't we go to Mars? Why I mean, don't we look, live on he, Mars? Like, I don't know. It's not my dream, but it's yeah. a good. It's a great dream. I just, I just wish that Elon was only selling the the affirmative. Like, I'm going to put your ass on Mars in a Tesla vision instead of getting captured by the the culture war shit. Sure. I don't, I don't think it's been a good look for him in general. And I think the other thing is just so attractive. And at, at, earlier this week, I've said it, and I'm confident I've said it on this podcast in the past before. Like my my, I, I am a first generation American. It is impossible for me not to think about America first and foremost as a machine for making immigrants who come from failing countries exceptionally wealthy and powerful mm. like that's what it does it does that better than than any political system devised mm -hmm. by mankind in mm -hmm. the history of the universe and to the extent that that's true like one could refer to america as white supremacist but you could also just refer to it as like immigrant alchemy i mean the shit just works so, it's amazing there was, a, there was a thing that during the during the early days of trump and during the campaign 2016 that i was traveling around um with a cameraman a producer a sound person in every place that we went every city that we went and it was like it became a joke after a while <laughs> that we would just get into an uber and there would be some like nigerian uber driver who loved trump <laughs> and it was like, it was, it, it's just like every time you met somebody who was like an actual immigrant, they couldn't have cared less about this stuff. Could not have cared less. But you, then you, of course, run into somebody. But the thing about this stuff is very empowering for those people who aren't, you know, people who are in positions where they have no power. It's not that at all. It's someone who goes, you know, to a, a medium-sized, decent school, sometimes a very good school, mm. like a Bowdoin or something, or a Hamilton College or whatever. They they have a pretty good lot in life. They grew up fairly well. But they're not really paid attention to in the way that they are when they get to destroy somebody, when they get to have... Like, I was watching this uh, kid the other day. This hasn't gotten a lot of uh, attention. I don't like to draw attention to it. This kid who is the, the host of this um, YouTube show called All Gas, No Breaks. And it became quite big on YouTube, and now he has um, a show on HBO called um, "What Is It?" Th this place rules, or something. It's called. But you saw I said the video of the, the the kid talking to the NPR guy, the NPR woman. Yeah, which is the wildest video, and I don't know why that didn't get more attention. He's a kind of long-haired young kid, and he goes into like Trumpy kind of situations, and you know talks to people. Oh yeah, yeah, He's very yeah. very funny guy. Yeah. Um, and he got a lot of people are like, you know, you're not kind of dehumanizing them enough. And he's talking to this mm. NPR woman and she, who says that, uh, you know, Fox News isn't mainstream. And he says, what are you talking about? It's very mainstream. And she's like, well, you know, they lie all the time. So, uh, you know, they're, they're lying. And she, he's like, well, what, that, that doesn't make a difference. It's like, even if you believe that to be true, they're mainstream. And he's looking at the audience laughing at this woman, this older kind of <laughs> typical NPR woman. And then I see a day later. That two two women on TikTok accused him of some sexual indiscretion. Now, the first one says, um, "We had sex, we hooked up," um, but I felt I felt I, I gave consent. She actually says, "I gave consent, but I felt coerced." What? Uh, oh, and then what? another one comes forward, and then someone who's a friend of this guy says, "You know, he's you know this is his big debut on HBO that he uh, checked himself into a psych ward." Um, because he realized that his entire world was about to collapse because of these two people on TikTok. Is that true? So, yeah, Is that right? Straight to the video. That's what people and do. I and you. I was watching this in the video, and I just saw the kind of glee that these people say. Well, you know, I I had sex with this person, mm. but 
it was he coerced me and i realized that after the fact i did give consent but in you know knowing i and that was kind of the purpose of the chapter in john ronson's book Save so and publicly shame, which I talked to John about and talked about this general error story. And one of the reasons John talked to me was that the first interview I gave after that, when it was this amazing feeding frenzy, is I said, I feel guilty about this. I, I can't help but feel bad. I know Joan Alera did the wrong thing. I don't like, as you said uh, yourself, I don't like people who cheat. I don't like people who cut corners. I try to work hard and I'm, and, and he's lying about this and he's getting $75,000 a lecture. Kind of pisses me off, but I don't like to see this happen to somebody. You can't help but like, you know, the guy's got a kid, I, I, you know, he's threatening to kill himself, all this stuff. And then I see this, like, this, these people, like, I gave consent, this is, and, and this guy's just having his big debut here, and he's kind of disappeared because of this, God knows what HBO will do in response. But how can you like this? How can mm -hmm. you enjoy this? And then I realized that all of this stuff, when you find the thing that somebody wrote on Twitter when they were 15 years old and now they're trying to go into a professional well, sports league, they get an enormous charge. These mm. other otherwise kind of, you know, powerless in a large level, they can just have some sort of power in their local level. But like having this kind of, they enjoy this in a way that is, I find deeply disturbing. Well, perhaps it comes back to what I said. It's, it's a lack of purpose, a total lack of meaning and, mm. and direction and drive in society. Which is that, I mean, the aim, it seems to me, on online culture is prove everyone else is a racist and be the last man standing. Yeah. And uh, that's a pr pretty unproductive game. Yeah. Um, could, we, could we broaden that out? Is it, is it perhaps prove everyone else is, is wrong and be the last yeah, man yeah, absolutely. woman standing? You could, yeah, absolutely. Everyone else is wrong on, um, on male it, Because it feels relations. more that way. It's not just wrong, yeah. though, but like, like wrong, wrong in, in a way that their, mo their yeah. motivation, yeah. their orientation mm. is such that they are trying to transmit evil and so should be stopped. Racism is an evil, right? It is an actual kind of evil when applied. Um, if it was true, even, I don't know, 1% of the times that it was alleged – it would it could be something serious out there. Um, it's like that's the point is to like eradicate people from the conversation, like to tar them as untouchables intellectually, well, which is different than wrong. Like, oh, you you interpreted climate science differently. Like, no, you are actually trying to, trying to kill my children. Yeah, trying to mm -hmm. kill my children because the Koch brothers gave you money. Yeah, that was Florida well, in the pandemic. You're trying to kill one, grandma. One right? of the uh, one of the things I, th I think I said to some madness of crowds is uh, let, let's agree on an objective we actually across the aisles, all the ones that exist, could <laughs> agree on. And I think there's almost nobody, for instance, in Amer in modern American public life who wouldn't agree with the following proposition: that anyone with a competency in an area should not be held back from achieving whatever they can achieve due to any trait over which they have no say. Mm. Boom. Okay, I think almost everyone agrees with that. I don't think I. I, think I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they do. Maybe really? I'll ask some objections. Really? Over here. Really? I don't know. Who do you think doesn't agree with that? When people are interested in dismantling um, the 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 highest achieving high schools in New York City, for oh, example, because yeah. too many of the wrong kind of people are doing well. Asians. Um, Asians and whites. They presume it's white people. Well, they don't, they don't know that it's Asians. mostly Asians. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there are some like, white kids. Like there are some white kids who happen to go. The as white well. supremacy of New York City is, I think, eight percent of the students at Stuyvesant yeah. are white. I mean, that's that's a yeah. real that's a real dynamic. Yeah. I mean, to to the extent that's happening, that is something that let, plenty of people are animated by. Let, let me say, 
But I, but I, this way, but the, 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 my my proposition is one that yeah. I think everyone would sign up to. Yeah, it's just that there is a disagreement on how you get there. Okay, and there is a left wing version of it, which is you've got to make some people suffer for a while in order to get to equity. Right, and this is just a nasty phase of the cultural revolution, mm. and I will just have to sacrifice part of this generation. Um, my my point is simply, this is something we almost certainly and near entirety agree on mm-hmm. that, that, that the aim is to just like make sure nobody is held back if they can do something and the the debate is of course is the left doing it correctly i would say no you'd obviously i think say no mm-hmm. um uh, what's the rights version the rights version is a sort of gradualist one that it's had for years we should you know give it time and it'll sort of all shake out in its own way um but I come back to this thing. I'm sorry, just a sort of obsession of mine. It's like, what would we be doing if we weren't doing this game? Mm-hmm. It's the same with like, think of the amount of, of energy everyone around this table expended for years on Trump, for instance. Think of the amount of energy everyone in America expended on Trump. Yeah. There are mathematical problems which aren't solved. Yeah. <laughs> there, are, there are problems in physics we don't know the answer to. Yeah. There are some bullshit um, things which people have wasted their time on, like origin of life theory, which um, hasn't got anywhere. But it would have been useful to agree it hasn't got anywhere and move on and do something else. Um, we could have done so much. There's a thing, too, and there's, I'll give you a couple of great examples of this happening during the Trump years, is that if you stop telling people that there's a heroism in it, in standing up foursquare, you know, against Trump and saying, you know, this shall stop here and I'm going to be the one that does it. You have people like somebody we've had on this podcast who I think has, has sort of disgraced himself in the past five or six years is the historian Tim Snyder. Tim Snyder, who wrote, you know, specialist basically in Ukraine um, and, and wrote a, a, a good book, Bloodlands. Yes. Um, which now I'm kind of revisiting and saying, did I like it as much as I thought I did? Because he's ruined his reputation in the sense that he thinks that, you know, imagine the history books that could have been written when he's spent five or six years on MSNBC warning about the coming fascism. The fascism didn't come, and there's no penalty for being wrong about this at all. No. Right? Well, he saved us. It didn't come well, that, well, that's, that, well, that's the argument, right? If, yeah. if it's like if Joe Biden exists – as president, because people like me stood up and said something. And you see all of these people who otherwise would have been doing sensible things, writing sensible books, writing books in their area of expertise, which is, you know, yeah, in Tim Snyder's An case, important one. In important ones. <laughs> I mean, in really like breaking new ground in this stuff. And instead saying, I am going to take the lessons that I've learned of history and apply them in a way that proves that I didn't learn the lessons that I thought I learned from history. Mm. And that is to say that, you know, the, like, what was the, um, remember I read that uh, thing on the show not long ago. He had a second book. It was like the, the one was, the first one was the coming American fascism, right? And then they had a second one, you know, it's just a cash in kind of. Yeah, like like Madden Albright. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Also it's a fascism. Sad thing, yeah. to her career. And all of this stuff that the, the, the last one, I can't remember what it was, but it was in a little pamphlet kind of book. And it was this great throwaway sentence where he said, in the 2018 midterms, if they happen, something to that effect, I remember the exact phrasing, but this is literally somebody who's a professor at Yale who has studied fascism and studied communism and Soviet communism his entire life, believes that everything around him suggests that we actually won't have an election, that election will be stopped. Yeah. In 2018, because the president 
is that far down the road towards well I, I, i'm old enough to remember that this was done in 2008 oh for sure uh yeah. people said that george w bush wasn't going to leave the white house yes, and yeah. I, mm-hmm. I remember having arguments with people saying i'm pretty sure he wants to get out very far yeah yeah <laughs> like, he's really keen to leave yes. got a like, lot of painting painting got a lot of but uh i mean my friend tom holland the historian uh, said on a recent uh discussion we were in uh uh, with the rather um, uh, underselling title, Does God Exist? Um, uh, Tom made a very... Spider-Man. Uh, Tom, a little Tom, more interesting. Tom made a... Uh, Tom. <laughs> uh, the other Tom. Oh, my God, yeah. he hates that. Yeah. He hates that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. I'm sorry. People are really disappointed. Like Spider-Man wrote a book. Yeah. The, the, the historian that makes Islamists mad. <laughs> yeah. That's different. different guy. Like, how could you cast him as Spider-Man after what he said about Islam? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, poor Tom. It's such a curse there. But uh, he, he made a very interesting point. He said that uh, for centuries in western culture people had basically had the idea like what would jesus do as being the guiding principle mm. and then it's for the last 70 years certainly the, the more the war has receded the more the thing has become what would hitler do and mm. let's do the opposite and that's interesting actually and yeah. and that's basically like the 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 only guiding ethos is like don't be hitler mm. and and the problem as i always try to point out when this question comes up is is like again you've got no damn idea like first of all there may be no lessons to learn that's the worst lesson of all there may yes. be no lessons to learn so people say that like all these sort of you know people say what are the lessons of the holocaust and we're like yeah. uh, maybe there's none yeah maybe there's just like terrible people do terrible things and they did throughout history and this is the one that's most recorded and worst in recent memory mm. maybe there's no damn moral lesson to deliver to you so you can go oh i've discovered a lesson today <laughs> i found out you shouldn't kill six million jews mm. uh, um uh, but there's this sort of weird thing going on in our day which is is like that's the one thing you don't know what people don't realize is that even if that's the thing they don't want to do, there's no certainty they won't do it. Mm-hmm. My, one of my favorite books, I'm sure you, you know, um, wonderful Paul Berman. I don't know what's happened to him, actually. but He's gone um, quiet, yeah. 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 Paul Berman wrote a great book called Power and the Idealist some years ago with the yeah. unfortunate subtitle, Strange Passion of Oscar Fisher. But yeah, quite, that, was, that was not the, the selling point. Very bad <laughs> subtitle. I, um, that was yeah, worse than the Bloody Sunday shit, subtitle. Yeah, oh, what was um, the Bloody Sunday no, one? <laughs> Please don't read this book. Um, <laughs> um, no, but, but, but uh, I, I, love the, I love that book so much because he describes how Oscar Fisher's generation of Germans grew up with one thing they knew they weren't going to do. They weren't going to be their parents. They weren't going to become Nazis. Mm. What happens? They became... They end up... Joskovich's uh, yeah. flatmate ends up on one of the uh, uh, hijacked planes, Entebbe, yeah. separating out Jews, Jews and yeah, non-Jews, yeah, yeah. and it's like, yeah. oh god damn, we've done it again. Yeah, yeah. Like, one, every time we mm. do it, we're separating yeah. something. I can't, I'm trying to get a sandwich. <laughs> and, yeah. and 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 that is that seems to me to be a much more important moral lesson than you're the anti-Nazi, find the Nazis. A much more important lesson is you may be the Nazi, yeah. Mm. Yeah. and dwell on that, think about that, and just. Act, act carefully in your life. Well, the lesson, and, and that's a, a very good point. Humility as it's well. a very good point about you know drawing lessons, particularly on the, mm. the Trump thing. Is that I think about the Trump thing and people trying to draw lessons of this, and you know the, the Tim Snyder's of the world writing books about the lessons to be drawn from this and how to act in the future to prevent this from happening again. I mean, I kind of think of this as if 
you know, a, a gasoline truck overturns on the freeway as somebody flicks a cigarette out the window and it, it ignites and then someone comes this and this like, what's the lesson we learned from that? It's like, no, just a, a, a confluence of crazy things happened. And there's not a real lesson to be learned from that. We can draw things from the experience, the individual things that happened during Trump's presidency, et cetera. But how do we prevent this conflagration again? You can't. Because there's only one of him, and you know, and you see this from all the Republicans trying to do impressions of him, that there's only one of him. Awful impressions. But more importantly, sorry, just to bang on about this once more. Do it. Do it. Please, God, we have to get beyond all this. We have to get beyond it. This is such an opportunity in America today in terms of, I mean, just simple, like, access to food. I mean, like nutrition mm. none of our ancestors had this it's amazing it's amazing yeah and we're wasting our time so well, tell me what you're most excited about this last question for you what are you most excited about for the future what is the thing that we are we are most not doing at the moment that we should be doing i think if you freed people up from all of this bracken that is being put in their in their way mm-hmm. we will do things that we can't imagine mm-hmm. if, if if we'd have been having this conversation a hundred years ago we wouldn't have known any of the things that were going to be discovered. None of them. You couldn't have predicted them. We can't predict them today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we couldn't have worked out any of the philosophical, scientific, or cultural breakthroughs that were going to happen. All you can do is to set up the, in, the optimal environment for them to happen. The optimal environment for them to happen happens to be occurring in 21st century America now. Mm-hmm. All of the optimal conditions for this to happen. And if we could just clear the stuff away, all these young men and women of every imaginable background will go out and do things that will be amazing. We can't imagine them. It's the nature of these things. You can't foresee them. It's like trying to work out how to split the atom in 1880. Mm -hmm. They'll do it. Just clear all of the crap out of their way and let them be free to do it. Are you you inspired, excited, enthusiastic when you see a company like Facebook – um, do something like what uh, Basecamp did and Coinbase did back in 2020 when they decided, look, you're, we're, we're out of this letting politics ruin our, our corporate culture thing. We're not doing this anymore. We're a mission-focused company. We don't do the weird diversity, equity, and nothing about stuff. Facebook especially excites me. But, but, but Facebook, but 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 this is this is the thing. Facebook embraced a similar sort of ethos a couple of months ago, and there was barely any press about it at all Mm. like almost no one knows anything about that which strikes me as one just profoundly different than what happened the last time around the last time around the new york times did a full court press on coinbase and ran three or four like attack stories in the space of two months um and this time around almost no one talks about the fact that facebook adopted pretty much the same perspective and the one wrinkle the one complaint i have about the entire thing is i don't think Forbidding political discussions at the office is necessarily a great strategy. Not necessarily. But you, you, we but basically we basically have get two, the approach. We basically have two options. One is to re, is to retire into the virtual world, which is going to be very very attractive for a lot of people, and Facebook is helping with that. Mm. And I think that's a disaster. Um, it's going to be enormously enticing. What's coming down the road in technology uh, for somebody with very little prospect to disappear into a world where they have infinite amount of non-real sex, infinite amount of non-real excitement, 
mm. and they'll log in. You're very pessimistic. No, no, no. I'm very pessimistic about that. It's like very ready player one. I've, I, I'm, yeah. I'm sure that that's going to be a temptation. We have to tempt people back out into the real world to make real discoveries. And the opportunities for that are limitless. Mm. And when I speak to young students who are smart, by the way, mm-hmm. the ones who are coming up underneath the woke generation are smart as hell and they know their way through it. I'm pretty confident about that. There's a great generation coming up under the one that was bullshit. I, I think so too, actually. When I talk to yeah. like younger, people. yeah, 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 yeah. Did you notice that Doug said he's going to don't call entice, me Doug? D- I'm going. I, I've decided <laughs> I right now you're not. That. You're no longer Douglas. You're Doug. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why because it, because the creepy thing because Doug is a creepier name. Yep. He's going to entice uh, the younger generation out to have real sex. You yes. noticed that, right? <laughs> no. Okay. Like, that's why you're Doug. That is called grooming. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, not acceptable yeah, on yeah, this that's podcast. Like, actually, you're Uncle Doug at that point. You're not Douglas. Very much. <laughs> you're you're like creepy. Uncle yeah, you're Doug. creepy Uncle Doug. Well, yeah. listen, if someone is going to entice my children out into the you know whatever you I wanted, wanted to be, to be Douglas I Murray be, I wanted to be Douglas okay. Murray I think that's a um, fair, well, fair point Douglas Murray I want to thank you for classing the joint up drinking with us staying yes. extra late yeah it's late Absolutely. interesting well, conversation. thank you for providing the whiskey that no went problem. to un, un, unusual and unexpected places um, but it's great Thank That's the great. listeners for providing whiskey. Yeah. This is all listener provided to who? Yeah. Oh, do we do we know who to thank for this? Yeah, no, it looks no, expensive. Came, that came super, I think it looks like it's made in a bath. James. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go blind. After Red this. seal. Is from that literally Scotland? a James Buchanan? Yeah. Did, did we fi- did we finish the William Henry Harrison I, bottle? So this we, is we double did. aged. We did. Well, I, we did. I'm like, the, the other bottle went, went. That went. That's that's gone. Absolutely <laughs> true. That you are like top five requested guests. Yes. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. May that people yeah. loved the video of your aforementioned debate with oh with uh, Matt Taibbi, right? That was Matt Taibbi. Yeah. Well, you weren't debating Taibbi, but he was on your side Malcolm against Gladwell. Your favorite person, Malcolm Gladwell, who I'm sure also called you Doug. I can tell from the hatred towards him. Who is, uh, I called him Malk. Malky. Um, <laughs> is that, did that happen? Is that, yes. what, <laughs> what, 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 what was the other? Um, really? Yeah, he, he was such an asshole. He kept calling me Doug and he kept mispronouncing Matt's surname. So eventually I was like, well, Malk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> like when uh, Christopher on uh, referred to uh, most deaf as Mr. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> When he was, I remember when he was, that. When, when he was he, he, the whole time he was like, yo, my, my man, Chris Hutchins. It's like, Chris Hutchins? <laughs> oh, no. like, you never called him Chris, number one, and then Hutchins. And then he was like, miss it, I'm sorry, Mr. Definitely. Miss it definitely. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> Best moment in television. Well, it's been a great pleasure to be yeah. with you all. Well, thank you, Douglas. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon, you fucking bastard. Buy the book, Bloody Sunday. Yeah, that's, that's the one. That's the one we're pushing. This that's one we're pushing. He sold it to me. If it's if it's not yeah, number yeah. one on Amazon after this, exactly. in whatever category it is, yeah. you people are fucking exactly. Fair. It's gonna be number one on like Amazon Liechtenstein. Yeah, if you love this podcast. Buy a copy of the book. Okay, boy, the book, you fucking cunt <laughs> bastard. All right, bye. 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 We, we, we know of new methods of attack. <laughs> <laughs>